I have such an enormous advantage that there's no way you can block me. So if you're trying to block me, you're going to lose. So what do you got? What's the philosophy of blocking? Well, when do I give up points? When when does my system? I told you my simple system starting with seeing what happens somewhere. I've broken down in the chain, so I've made a mistake. Mm -hmm. OK, you are not trying to block the hitter. You are trying to block the ball when they make a mistake. Yeah, okay? I like that. So when we if, if we so, you know, part of part of, you know, watching video and um, you know, charting. All right. Most people chart what they do. See, I we didn't have any coaches. I didn't know how to chart. I didn't know what you're supposed to do with charting. But I was like, if I can figure out where you make your errors, where you get lazy, you come if, if I see you coming in straight, I got you. If I see you looking up, what are you gonna do? What's up and welcome to the Learn Beach Ball Fast Podcast. I'm Alex and this is an exciting episode because Kent Steffes, the original Olympic beach volleyball gold medalist, who won the first ever Olympics together with Karchiki Rai, is on the show. So Kent used to play on the absolute toppest of levels of the sport and then suddenly he just sort of disappeared more or less for 20 plus years from the sport and then he came back and did this episode where he just absolutely dumps information and wisdom and knowledge on me. And I'm just super excited to share this episode with you guys now. And to be honest, most of the things that he shared to me were either completely new thoughts to me or like new nuances of previous thoughts that I had that I thought were somewhat advanced before. So I don't know, after that I have started experimenting with some of the things that he shared to me with good results give me another few months, maybe up to a year, and probably I'll end up in a position where I have had time enough to try all the things that he suggested, and I'll be able to sort of subscribe to all of them as well. So Kent has, for our beach volleyball players' delight, fortunately been on a few different podcasts lately. Uh, I've heard the one on Sandcast, on Gabby Reese's podcast, and this one. And I definitely recommend you to listen to all of them. However, I'm super happy and thankful to Kent to be able to say that in this episode, we just had time to go into so many details that the others didn't have. This is another crazy monster episode of four and a half hours of an interview. So Kent is staying on par with, with Steve Anderson. And this also means that this interview will be split into two different episodes. And this is the first one. So I'm 98% sure that whether you're a beginner beach volleyball player, intermediate, advanced or professional beach volleyball player or a coach, you will find a nugget or 12 in this episode that you can take and run away with and try in your own game, try in your coaching and become better at this sport. There is a few books mentioned in the episode as well as a baseball technique or a myth of a baseball technique that at least I wanted to look at a little bit deeper after the episode. So all of those will be in the episode description uh, so you can find them afterwards. You don't need to pause in the episode and then find them and write them down or whatnot. I got all of that sorted out for you. All right, time to fasten your seatbelts. Let's go. All right, so I guess we have to say welcome to the show. <laughs> welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. We have Ken Steffes on the show, 
uh, which is, um, I'm excited. Uh, this is going to be an interesting episode. Uh, how do we introduce you? I mean, there's, um, we can introduce you as the first ever gold medalist in Beach Volleyball Olympics. Is that you're also uh, just wrote a book with uh, yep. Travis? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I read Here's that. The book. Kings the book? of Summer. Kings uh -huh. of Summer. Awesome. The Rise of Beach Volleyball from a Rebel Sport in the 1970s to the Olympic Games. And it really chronicles in depth, and we could talk about it, the the famous quarterfinal match in the 1996 Olympics between Karch Karai and myself and Carl Hinkle and Sinjin Smith. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's actually how I got in contact with you. Because, uh, uh, well, I had Steve Anderson on the, on the podcast, and, and he said it was the most interesting match ever or most entertaining match ever. Uh, and I was like, oh, I've never seen that. So I had to find it. And uh, I wrote this post, post and actually, and then uh, you you uploaded it. So <laughs> yeah, and two yeah. So you know, two best friends who become mortal enemies. Dun dun dun. And then <laughs> each one is calling each other really nasty names, and they're really horrible to each other. And we meet in the game, and we almost lose. It's, it's a, it was really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as far as I. Uh, I mean, we have so many things to talk about today, but let's super quick. The book seems to talk about the story behind this match, in a sense, or the rivalry and the history of. Is that a mistake for me, or? Well, all right. So, my, I co-wrote it with Travis Morder, who many of your listeners might know. He's like kind of the top writer in the sport of beach volleyball. He writes for. You know, AVP, Volleyball Magazine, FIVB, Volleyball World. And so he, but he's also a player. So he's 30 and he plays and he writes. So, so he had a really unique idea to structure the book around one single game. All right. Mm -hmm. And that's, so it's one, that, that quarterfinal match, the one I told you, the, the friends become enemies, the AVPs fighting the FIVB, everyone's calling each other really nasty names. Yeah. And, uh, but then it also documents the rise of beach volleyball from its very start, 1976, two guys, Wilk and Masuoka, who, who are marketing guys, decided to create the first professional beach volleyball tour, the world championships, they called it, because, well, why not, right? You could do that back then. And from there came this growth. And so it sort of chronicles that early growth along uh, with all the controversy and the conflict that was happening until uh, the fight to get in the Olympics. Everyone working to get in the Olympics and then we get in the Olympics. So it's got a whole bunch of other stories with the United States national team and their, the starting of the training center. And basically, like it was a bunch of rebel anti-authoritarian people who didn't get along with everybody. That's us beach volleyball players. Uh, and we get kicked out of all the good clubs and we have to start our own little club. It was called Beach Volleyball and it became huge. So that's the book. And it, it's really exciting. Travis is a brilliant writer, but more importantly, like he, he you know, he wasn't there, but I was. So I kind of knew the stories. I, I experienced it. And we also interviewed a lot of the major players that, that are the people that were involved. And one of the best things about it was, now it's been a long time, I could actually sit there and go like, what was really happening? I know what you guys say, I know the BS, but 
I can get to the, we, you know, we kind of, what he says, we knew the truth when we heard it. So, I, I mean, I know Sinjin, I know Holland, I know all these people still well. I had Sinjin over to my house for dinner about a month ago or so, and I wasn't drinking in a bar with the Hav, which is about the only place you can meet the Hav anymore, uh, a couple months ago. So, uh, you know, we talked to these people, we were asking them, what's up? So, it was, it was, it was a really fun project to work on with Travis, and it was a really good product. And we're really, really proud of it, and you guys will really love it if you buy it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's. Uh, I need to. I need to make sure I, I read it. It's. Uh, it, it sounds like a very good piece of of understanding the history of. Uh, sort of not recent history, but also maybe not the absolute beginnings of beach volleyball, but like the sort of the growth and culmination of beach volleyball. Maybe is that well. So I, I guess you would say beach volleyball officially started in 1950 in the united states in santa monica you know pe people would go down to the beach and bat the ball around but they started organizing tournaments all right recreational tournaments in 1950. um then all up and down the beach you could play in these tournaments and they had different rankings and different so, so if you were a brand new person you played in a novice tournament and they were only open for people who hadn't, who weren't ranked or right and then if you won that you'd get an a then there was a double a then there's a triple a and if you did that then you go play in what are called the opens. They are open to anybody, right? Mm -hmm. And so all along the beaches of Calif Southern California, uh, during the summer, they would have a tournament and people would go and play. Uh, and it was totally recreational, no money, no TV. Well, what happened was crowds started to come to these things, okay? So but it was like pickup volleyball matches, crowds would come and then big crowds would come. And then enormous crowds would come. And everyone's like, what is going on watching a bunch of amateur people in some sort of rec tournament, recreational tournament, uh, pickup games? And all the players had enormous character. You know, and it was completely unstructured, unregulated. You could swear, you could, yeah, you could fight, you could <laughs> storm off the court, you could kick the ball, you could, you could go nuts if you wanted to. And everybody loved it. And then every um, night, the terms are Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Friday night, there was a huge party and everyone got drunk. Saturday night, there was a huge party and everyone got drunk. And after the tournament, everyone out and got drunk. So uh -huh. it was just giant party, crazy scene. And so, yes, before 1976, uh, there were beach volleyball tournaments that were played. And the names of those people, Von Hagen, Mangus, Lee, Lang, Shamalis, Marlowe, like we all know them growing up. Uh, and it, but it was 1976 where two businessmen, two professionals, two marketers said, let's get a sponsor, Olympia Beer. Let's put on a tournament. Let's call it the World Championship. Let's create an official professional tour with rules, you know, with, you know, everybody with the right, everything to do, you know, a, a, a ladder, a ranking system and prize money. And then we're going to get some TV. And so, yeah, that, I, there is really a point in 1976 where it does change and it's different. And then in 1984, the players all got into a fight with the owners, these two people, Wilk and Masuoka, who, again, I, I interviewed extensively for the book. He's, he's a really good guy. I was actually DMing uh, each other last night because I was asking him some questions still, even after the book. And they got into a little fight, and the, uh, uh, the players organized an association, the Association of Volleyball Professionals, now known as the AVP, and they struck the world championships. And this is all detailed in the book. And the sponsors freaked 
and Wilkin Masuoka freaked, and the fans didn't know what to do. And so they were out, and the AVP took over the sport. So the players own their own sport, and it just flew up that prize money went from five, six hundred thousand ultimately to four and a half million just for men, right? Single gender. Um, we went from oh, 12, 15 tournaments to 25. Uh, our coverage on NBC in the United States, we, we more people were watching beach volleyball tournaments on NBC than watched tennis, golf, and baseball combined, right? We were getting five, you know, four to five million people watching, which is like nutso. Not so. So the uh, the you know International Olympic Committee noticed. You now uh, head of the FIVB, Ruben Acosta, noticed this sport is volleyball, beach volleyball, and they met and they there's a whole there's a whole bunch of process and we could if you want if you think your viewers are interested I could kind of describe the process of how you get a sport in the Olympics and what was going on in the controversy. But you know they got it in the Olympics, which was uh, super cool because ever since I was an eight year old boy. I would dreamed of winning, being in the Olympics and winning a gold medal. Dreamed about it. I was eight years old. I was in, I was watching the 1976 Olympics in Montreal, and Bruce Jenner is running around the corner, and the announcer got. I oh got. I just got chilled thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I I actually got chilled. A chill went up my spine. So hey, he's running around the track, and the announcer goes. He's not, you know, Bruce Jenner has won the gold, but he's going for the world record. And he's huffing and puffing. I'm like, jump up. I run to my dad. I'm like, dad, I'm going to be in the Olympics and I'm going to win a gold medal right at eight years old. And my dad, who was a great, uh, he, he, there's only two things he liked in sports, right? Physics or two things he liked in life, physics and sport. That was it. If it wasn't physics or wasn't sport, he didn't care. He was a track athlete. He even was a master's track athlete. Uh, he had the world record for the 4 by 400 for people over 50 at one point, right? And then other than that, he was an engineer. He worked on uh, anti-ballistic missile defense systems. But I, I go, Dad, I'm going to be in the Olympics, and I'm going to win a gold medal. And he goes, what event? And I go, the decathlon. He goes, okay. And when I woke up the next morning, my dad had transformed our backyard. I come from Pacific Palisades, which is sandwiched in between Malibu on one side and mm -hmm. Santa Monica on the other. Live kind of in the mountains, but it's right next to the ocean. And he had transformed our backyard into a training center. All right. So I had a broom handle to throw the javelin. He found a rock, which was a shot put. He had made out of a PV out of PVC pipe a little hurdle I could jump over. You know, a frisbee was my discus. I did handstands for the pole vault. Like it was just it was crazy. Eight years old. And I could run back and forth. <clears throat> but that that wasn't it. Literally a week later. A truck shows up. They dig out the back corner of my of my of my parents' yard, and he puts a sand pit in there so I can do the long jump. Because he was actually a, he was actually a, he was a track guy. He was a long jumper at the University of Michigan, and he put a long jump pit in my backyard so that his eight year old son could go to the Olympics as a decathlete and become a gold medalist. Right. So anyway, <clears throat> I wasn't destined for the decathlon, but I played every sport growing up, every sport you can imagine: you know, soccer, baseball, football. I paddled, I served volleyball, you know, so, um, and eventually I settled on two sports, basketball and volleyball. Uh, and, and then in high school, you sort of had to make a decision when you go to college and it was volleyball. So I said, okay, well, you know, and then, and then uh, I, I started playing beach volleyball because I grew up, and so we, you know, we go down the summers, endless number of games. I mean, it's different for you guys where you are with the indoor and it's cold and it's, it's dark outside. 
it's you know it's the opposite here it's sunny till 8 30 a.m or p.m so you could and we had 13 courts at state beach and all the pros played there everybody played there from you know terrible old people to the best of the best at the time Sinjin and randy stokeless and you could just play all day which was fabulous i could play beach volleyball all day long so i'm like okay i'm gonna become a professional beach volleyball player as i said you take there's this ladder you go up like I described earlier, you, know, you started the little tournaments and you, then you get bigger, bigger, bigger. Now you're in the pro, you know, uh, then you're on the pro tour and you're traveling around the country. And I thought, well, you know, so much for the dream of the eight year old boy. You know, it's just an eight year old kid's dream because beach volleyball is in the Olympics. And then ah, it gets in the Olympics and they put it in. So I get to live my dream. And I, you know, I was really excited. I go to the Olympics and we, we, we play Sinjin and Carl. In the quarterfinal match, some people call it the match of the century, which is, which is, it's true because best friends became enemies and they hated each other and they were calling each other really nasty names, which you can read about in our book. And uh, I'm on the cusp, on the cusp of losing and not getting my dream of uh, you know, winning a gold medal. So that's kind of my story and my arc on that one. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, feel free to just cut in any time to ask a question or clarification because if you know yeah, me yeah. i can talk so one of the Absolutely. greatest things about beach volleyball playing in tournaments is you sit around in a tent with 50 other guys and do nothing but talk <laughs> and every once in a while you go out and play a game and then you come back in the player's tent and you sit around and you talk <laughs> you yeah talk about volleyball and you talk about life and you talk about everything so feel literally feel Absolutely. free to cut it yeah, I, I I will. Uh, so so it's it's so interesting. I have a I have a challenge here with this podcast episode. I, I'm going to be honest, which is uh, so normally this podcast is is you know the 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 conversations you have with other players about how to play the game, like whether yes. that's tactically, mentally, uh, technically, whatever. And but like with you, I I both want to listen to to the stories <laughs> and the history, but I also really want to like discuss with you how to play the game, because uh, because you you seem from the research I've done, uh, you seem to have a lot of uh, thoughts about it. It, it, it. Not not I don't know if you agree. Like not absolutely everyone has that. Like even players that play at the highest level, like yeah, they have they have I don't know. Everyone ha ha has thoughts, but but like it feels like um, your uh, who is it? I think it's Todd Rogers. They call him the professor or something. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it feels like there's there's just this a certain percentage of players just tend to be even more nerdy <laughs> than, yeah, than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would you put yourself in that category or or not really? Well, all right. So let me tell you my personal philosophy to sport. Okay, and this okay. is quite controversial. And most people don't agree with it. And I'm just going to tell it to you because from there, you'll we'll begin to have this conversation how, you know, like you said, and that is this. Uh, the goal of sport is to win, period. All right. Mm -hmm. If you're engaged in a sport, there's only one goal, and that is to win. All right. So, again, as I said, it's very controversial. Not everybody agrees. Not everybody signs up to that. But from that, you ask yourself the question, how am I going to win? And that begins the process of discovery of what it takes to win, right? Because if your goal is not to win, you're, you're, you might be doing something else, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, let me give you an example of, of, of athletes that, that their goal is not to win. 
you know, some athletes just like to play. They like, like when I play, they like to party. They like to go out. They like to make money. They're good athletes. They don't want to work as a job as an insurance salesman and someone's going to pay them a million dollars to go play a sport. Why not? But they're not like really focused on winning. And you see that a lot in athletes. But uh, yeah, so uh, so I started talking about, all right, I'm going to I'm going to say something which is kind of odd because uh, first I'm going to brag a little bit, please. So I could give I'll give a little bit of my credentials. So, you know, not only as an Olympic gold medalist, I was the youngest number one player in the history of the sport. Uh, I have 110 wins, uh, w winning streaks of 13 in a row, which is really hard to win 13 beach volleyball tournaments in a row because you're in different cities, different types of sand, different types of weather conditions. Uh, if you're on the bad side, you can't win a game back in the day. So, and um, <clears throat> I have the highest winning percentage of any beach volleyball player ever, just under 50%, 48.6% to be exact, uh, the tournaments I won. And um, so, um, God, I just lost. <laughs> uh, all right. So, all right, oh, this is what I was going to say. Yeah. <clears throat> now, when I got into beach volleyball, what I realized was that I wasn't very good at beach volleyball. Okay. I wasn't uh, compared to my compatriots, right? I wasn't the best hitter. I wasn't the best setter. I wasn't the best defensive player. I wasn't the best you know, um, a lot passer. I wasn't the best setter. And I certainly was not even close to being the top blocker. There was like five guys, you know, Powers, Stoklos, Timmons, that were, you know, Whitmarsh, that were just phenomenal blockers. So what I realized is if I can't be any good at the individual aspects of the game, then I was going to focus on winning and I was going to become great at that. Okay. So I'm not going to, so they're like, okay, I'm not the best blocker, not even close. What do I need to do? I'm not the best hitter. All right, what do I need to do? And I sort of study the other players and study the best ones and see what they do. And yeah, so I'm not sure that's a nerdy, nerdy approach. That's an approach that I think is completely rational if you're trying to win. All right, well, I got to do X, Y, and Z. So, all right, and we could talk about, you know, again, cut it anytime you want. I can go on forever. And I, I don't do this so if for, you know, I, what I do for a living is I'm in finance. I run a hedge fund, so I'm in the markets all day. So I don't coach. Uh, I don't uh, give speeches on this. I don't uh, talk about a philosophy or anything like that. Um, so yeah, again, feel free to to break in. But from this exploration, you come over like, what, what is what? What are you trying to do out there? Like, what, what are you trying to do when you're hitting? What are you trying to do when you're blocking? What are you trying to do when you're in, on defense? And that led me to certain things, uh, thoughts, and, and and conclusions that helped me to be. I, I think I was successful because again, I was the winningest player. In the history of the sport, no, no one. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that anymore. Um, you know, win just under fifty percent of the terms, and that that includes the first couple of years when I, you know, I went, you're winning the Zippo, right? Uh, anyway, so we can talk about that in, in yeah. terms of how I approached the game and each individual skill and how I broke it down and how I trained and how I learned from it. So if that's what your, if that's what your uh, viewers want, they want. You know, I, I can talk about the ulna in the radius and how you need to have them, or I can talk about what you should be thinking about when the ball is coming over on the surf. So fire away. Yeah, Where do you want I, me to start? I, I, I believe uh, me, me and my my listeners would be very interested uh, in this. So one of my questions I had written to you which was basically, what do you feel was your strength in beach Winning. Moment? Winning. Winning exactly. Winning, uh, yes. And, and, and I, I want everyone out there to listen. Look, look, everyone out there to listen. The next time you play volleyball, listen to me. 
Tell yourself, I am going to win, period. We're here to win, period. Just, I'm going to win, literally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nobody believes me, I told you, see? Yeah. You look at it, you're, you look at it. you're like, uh, what is he now? I can't, it's got to be a serve to the left. And blah, blah, blah. And you, 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 your, your, your listeners can decide for themselves uh, uh, yeah. if I make any sense or not, right? <laughs> I, I'm not going to change. I, I'm done playing. I'm done playing, so I'll tell you what I did. Uh, so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter right? to you. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It's it like we talked, we had a little time, for everybody out there, we had a little back and forth on something. I go, well, I don't agree. And you're, that's fine. <laughs> don't agree. <laughs> yeah. You so, think you should do this? And you, I, what's it, it's not to me. Again, I'll just tell you how I think. You, all you out there, it's your choice. You know? Absolutely. So, so would you say that you were a player that was not particularly strong in the individual skills? You were just strong at winning, which ended up you winning. Okay. All right. This is this is we're gonna we'll, we'll feel free to give me your perspective of, or if you think something wrong or like push because it is a philosophy of a of, of of sport and I'm gonna give you a little tip when I started playing beach volleyball we did not have coaches think about that I had to learn the game all on my own right now you guys have coaches there's national team coaches there's coaching certifications too many coaches actually in the book. We have an extensive discussion with Doug Beal, the USA national team coach, uh, for, won the gold medal in 1984. It astounds him that there is a career called coaching because he didn't think. He he was going to coach, the, he was an academic, and he was going to coach the national team and go back to academia. He was a movement physiologist. It, it just astounds him that there is a career called coaching and that coaches get paid. It's bizarre to him. So we didn't have that. So we had to learn everything on our own. Okay, so the first thing I sat down there and I said, all right, beach volleyball. What are we trying to accomplish here? All right. Well, the first thing we're trying to do is we have an offense. And we have a defense. So what are we trying to accomplish on offense? There's two guys out there and it's a big court. So what we want to do is hit it where they're not. Mm -hmm. Right. If we hit it where they're not, we're going to win. Are we not? Mm -hmm. I agree. Right? So now I can hit it angle. I can hit it line. I can shoot it angle. I can shoot it line. So I have four options and there's only two of them. So I got the advantage, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, are there, there's kind of a fifth option. You could drive it off the player's hands, which you want to do sometimes. Yeah. Get, gets always gets the blocker pissed when you keep driving it off his hands because they get all, they think they're close and they're not. Pat, you, you pound it right off this elbow, it just goes off at, at, you know, anywhere or off the top of the hand, it just goes in the stance. Yeah. Right, so there's five. So I have five options on offense and the defense has two, right? Uh -huh. I'm good. What else do I need to do? All right. All right. So that gets you. So th that's basically my what I call my standard set on offense. My standard set is I have five options and the blocker can either block angle or line and the defensive player can either take one side of the court or the other. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm way ahead of the game. Um, everything else, it's, we can talk to as much detail. So that, that, that brings you to the conclusion that there are, there are three things that are critical to be a beach volleyball player. And if you master these three things, you will be very successful at beach volleyball. The first is you have to be able to see the ball, the blocker, and the court at the same time. All right? Mm -hmm. If you can see the ball, the blocker, and the defensive player, the court basically, at the same time, you have your five options in your standard set that they can only cover two, you're going to win. Mm -hmm. okay. All right? I like or at that. least you're going to have a really, really good chance of winning. 
I'm going to tell you this. These three things I, I, I'm going to point out to you, nobody on the professional beach volleyball tour, FIVB or America does. Okay. They don't do it. <laughs> I'm listening. Uh, the Norwegians do it. And that's why they're the number one team in there. It won the gold medal. If you watch them play, they have the ball in front of them in their field of vision. All the other players are looking straight up. All right. Mm -hmm. So why are they looking straight up? All right. Uh, and we'll get into the difference between mechanical training and uh, rhythmic power, because I know you love that discussion. But most of the people start their training on how to hit the ball, not that way. They started from, OK, you pass and then you approach and then you have footworks. And we'll get into a concept that's uh, it's basically like, you know, how you teach something in volleyball. There's two directions you could teach a skill. There's forwards and backwards. And sometimes you want to teach the skill forwards, and sometimes you want to keep, teach the score backwards, and almost all coaches do it wrong, all right? Yeah. So I wouldn't, now, I, 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 I would never say that I am an expert. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not an expert coach, okay? And I don't claim to be. But I am an expert at having been coached, right? So I've been coached by some of the best there are. The, be, you know, the best volleyball coaches, my track coach, John Smith, is one of the best track coaches. He's, he's trained numerous Olympic gold medal 400-meter races. He was the track coach, you say. So uh, my strength and conditioning coach, Bob Alejo, is very famous, very, very big, right? So, again, you could, you, you, I, I'm, not, I'm not a professional coach, and I'm not giving coaching advice. I'm giving a coaching advice on what it was like to be coached by the best. And the greatest coaches all coach in the right direction. Right. So now that you know what you're trying to do on hitting, you're trying to get into a position uh, where you can see the ball, the blocker and the defensive player. You have a problem. Right. Because our eyes don't work that way. Our eyes do not focus near and far. And you have to be able to do that. Most people choose either to focus near or to focus far. Well, you have to train yourself to not do that. You have to train yourself to not focus far and not focus near. All right. And one of the things you can do if you want to, if any other young kid who want to be a beach volleyball player is you can sort of, you could set the ball while you're watching TV and make sure you yep. change sides. You set the ball against the wall while you're watching TV or you bump the ball. Can you see me? Yeah. Uh, you bump the ball. Mm -hmm. Why did that do that? A little thing came on. How weird. Um, you, you, you bump, I got two pictures, you know, it's okay. You bump the ball while you're watching TV. All right. So if I'm sitting here, let me let me see if I get you here. Like, so if I'm sitting here and I'm and I'm bumping the ball like this, the other ball is over. I'm bumping the ball, but I'm looking at you, and then I yeah. switch hands. All right. Yeah. I have the ball and I have you in my field of vision. All right. Yeah. Then everything else sort of comes from comes from there. I call it string. So you're see how you're see how you're, you most people train the wrong direction. For this skill, you want to train backwards. All right. Yeah. So how do you get into so you Understand what you're doing. You've trained your eyes correctly. You have your st right, oh, standard set. You know what you're doing, what you're looking for. You've trained your eyes. How do you get there, right? How do you get into the position where you're seeing the ball, the, the blocker, and the defensive player? All right, now we're talking, okay, footwork, passing, you know, uh, angle of approach, and things like that. And sure, mm -hmm. we could get as complicated as you want, as a right side player, what I'm doing is I'm is I'm I, I'm changing my angle of attack. So I'm either coming left to right, I'm coming right to left. You never want to go in uh, go in going straight. I, I got blocked in the match of the century in the quarterfinals. 
uh, the, the final, uh, I'll give away the secret. We, we won the gold medal, but don't uh, turn off your ears. If you uh, like spoiler alert, we, we won the gold medal. I don't, I think that's okay. If we tell them, right. Uh, yeah, so. the score was 17, 15, uh, of those Karch gave up 12 points. There was one that was kind of a, in both of ours. And then I only gave up two points. All right. One, and one of them was because my lazy butt didn't get his you know, attack angle correctly. I just got lazy, hit the ball, went in, and Carl stuffed me, right? Mm-hmm. If he would have done that again, we would have lost the game, and I would have lost the gold medal. So you've got to always remember, you know, to do this. So anyway, imagine you're so good. You get complicated. You have an angle of approach, which is right to left, right? So you're, again, you're watching the blocker. You're watching the defensive player. You have the option to hit it fast or to hit it late. You have the option. You have the option to hit it. From from here to over here because the ball's traveling left to right. So not only do you have five five options in your standard set, you've now added a whole another layer onto it in which you have four times four because you know if the blocker's late, I'm going to hit it quick. If the blocker's early, I'm going to wait. If he jumps one way, I'm going to hit it earlier. If he jumps this way, I'm going to let it let it drift and I'm going to hit it that way. Okay. You see what I mean? You're you're the the greatest thing, and I know you love these line shots. I know you love the line shots is you're coming right to left and you, 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 you're staring at the defensive player and you're going, if you move, I'm going to hit it that way. So he's sat in there. The blocker is kind of trailing with you and you just go wham, you hit it down the line. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so all the, the you're, you're watching them because they're all mo- moving this way and you're hitting the ball in the other direction. Now, <clears throat> if you're the defensive player trying to get that line shot, what is your first problem? All right. Your first problem is if you can't just get to the ball. You have to get around the ball, right? Most mm-hmm. athletes are running straight to the ball because they to the ball. You have to actually run around the ball because if you get to the ball, you're just going to hit it out of bounds, right? You have to get it, or you have to get it back towards your setter, right? If you're if you're a defensive player, okay. If you all right, so think yeah, right. So close your eyes and imagine yourself running to your left to get my line shot. All right, you you where you have to you have to dig the ball back over your shoulder. You with me? That's hard. Yeah, yeah, right. or to the side, in a, in a sense, a little bit backward. Yeah. No, no, because you're facing this way, and the net is that way, right? Or what, however you're going, or you know, maybe, but it's to the right or to the. It's not. It's not easy to be doing this deal. But again, and if you want to cheat on me and break, I'm going to just. Or I can just cut it right there. Mm-hmm. You have no. You have no choice. Yeah. So again, I'm trying to set it up so that I can't lose. So that I can can't lose. So I can win. Um, all right. So that's. <laughs> That was number one, all right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Vision, all right. A, a standard set is five. Vision is the first of three. I got four options, uh, uh, angle of approach and, or, and uh, timing. Actually, no, angle of approach. So there's two of those, two of those and four. I got, I got uh, where I hit the ball, I can hit the ball over here. I can hit the ball over here. Uh, I can hit the ball quick. I can, hit the, I can wait and hit the ball like that. So I'm generating a lot of options in terms of my offense. And they only got two guys. And again, I get to choose. So I'm reacting to them. I, I see where they're blocking. I see what they're doing. And we'll get into scouting. I know what they're going to do. All right. I know how the blocker blocks. I know how the defensive defender defends. All right. And uh, then everything else is kind of, you know, whatever footwork. Uh, and we're, we can talk about how you train an athlete because they train them incorrectly. They use mechanical training, which is wrong. Um, you know, like I had I had incorrect footwork. You know, you, you know, you go left, right, left, right. That's a, that's how you yep. approach. So you have. Well, I was other way. I was right, left, right. No coach would have ever, ever, ever changed that on me, ever. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, not later on, they're like, well, if you want to change your footwork correctly, these are the steps you do it. They did it. I actually played in college with a guy who was all American national champion and had, had backwards footwork his whole life. I think Phil, Phil Dahlhauser has backwards footwork. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh, right. So if you're a coach and you're thinking, if you're, you're with youth and you're, you're, you're coaching it the wrong direction, you're worried about things like footwork and approach and all that stuff. So, mm -hmm. all right. Interesting. Any Interesting. questions on that before we move on to blocking? Uh, yeah, let's see. So, so this vision that you're talking about, um, basically, it's it's type of peripheral vision where you see the the ball, the blocker, the defender at the same time. Or no, it's, no? Not, it's different. No, it's not peripheral vision. You have to you have to you have to create within your brain. You have to train within your brain a new vision stock system. Uh, in, so, I I have used a type of vision which is not the normal way of looking, which is. The best way I can describe it is is point your eyes. So so if I'm looking at you now uh, mm -hmm. on the screen, I can I can um, I can look towards you, but I'm not looking at you. But I'm trying to see as much as possible. It's a type of haziness. Like it almost feels like I'm lazy with my eyes. They are mm -hmm. pointing in the direction of you, but I'm um, I'm not focusing on you. And and I'm trying to gather as much information as possible from the environment in my vision field. Does that make any sense to you as a description? Yes, absolutely. And what I would say is the way you train that is backwards. You you attempt to see the picture, and your eyes will figure it out. Your brain will figure out how to do it. I don't think you can teach that forward. I don't think you can do like eye training exercises that'll get you there. But possibly it's true. But the point is, the point is. If you are not seeing the ball, the blocker, and the defensive player, you know, it, like I, I explained to you why I got blocked by Carl Hinkle. I got blocked by Carl Hinkle because I didn't do my standard set. I didn't, I, I, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Okay, so if you aren't, if you want to win, you are, you need to see your opponent. If you are not winning, you are not seeing them. Mm -hmm. Train yourself. Work on it. You see the point. Like, are you yep. see right? That would be my first question. Are you seeing the ball, the blocker, and the defensive player? And if so, then why would you be giving up any points? Okay, makes sense. Right? But why are you? Yeah. What broke? What in this? What in the? What in the chain broke? And then we start working. What? What? What parts of the chain are breaking? Right? Mm -hmm. As your, you know, your your approach is wrong. Your angle of attack is wrong. You have the wrong. You know, you're hitting the ball in the wrong spot. You're hitting not hitting the ball at the right time. You're not using your five, you know, five the, the five options you have against the two. Mm -hmm. You're not then, of course, you're not seeing because you're because you're not seeing is the bottom line, right? Makes sense. Makes sense. Awesome. And second question was, um, you say angle of approach. Mm -hmm. So yep. so and so you played right side, right? Yes. 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 So you would actually go outside of the court and and approach. Inwards on of an angle. That was, that, that was my that was my money shot because I had the line shot. Remember exactly which you're, you're which pulling sort of you're, you're, right. outside of your shoulder. All right, so you're, you're basically pulling the blocker and the defensive player left. If they don't go, you hit it. Okay. If they do go, you shoot it back to the line. You with me? Again, I I I have the I, I have twice as many options as they do. The blocker must jump, and he must be going in another direction. I don't have to do that, but I can move the ball. One way or the other. So I, all right, I'm coming in. All right, I'm coming in. All right, are, are you following me? Mm -hmm. If it's no, hit an angle. 
if you follow me, it's back that way. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> You're done. Uh, you got no uh, chance, uh, Alex. You have no chance. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Uh, well, all right. So it's just, all right. For all those people who are thinking like, oh, Kenny, just I get to hear this like, oh, you just you think it's so simple. It's not that simple. That is true. Okay. It's hard to move in the sand. Okay. It's hard to jump in the sand. That's why everyone looks up. They think they have they have to jump as high as they can. All right. No, you need to jump outwards. It's not. It's very difficult to jump forwards in sand. Okay. You have to train yourself. But again, we're back on we're back on that string, that chain I call it, as we're trying to figure out what's breaking down. Okay, it's you're right. It's hot. It, it's hard to play in the sand. Your legs get tired. Uh, it, it's a lot of pressure. All right, you, you're uh, we could talk about mental and emotional. You you're losing focus. Okay, like I said, I completely lost focus in the Olympics in the biggest game of my life, and I got and I got smacked by Carl for it. So yeah. It is not that simple as I'm laying it out. But my point is, my point is, if you don't know why it is you're not winning, well, there's a problem. Okay, mm -hmm. there's a problem. So, you know, and again, one of the things uh, they used to call it ego death when I was younger. Uh, it's a concept where you take you as an athlete, you need to take feedback. Okay, yeah. and nobody likes to take feedback. You know, because, you know, it's just human nature, right? Everyone wants to be praised and built up. Nobody wants to be like, you're not doing it right, and this is not what you're doing, right? Yeah. So they used to train us back in the day, kids, it was called, the training is called ego death. They'd, they try to remove that sort of thing where we wouldn't take feedback by calling us horrible names and doing horrible things to us, okay? You effing suck, Stephus. God damn it! What were you, what were you thinking? Yelling at it in front of my parents, in front of my you know, friends. You are the worst in the world. All right. Well, eventually, like you, you just start laughing at it because you're like, okay, uh, yeah. You do something monumentally stupid, and coach like blah 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 blah, and you just like. So one time, this is a basketball story. The coach, we were playing so horribly. The coach had had it. He's like, why can't you do the offense? And we just start screaming and yelling. This, you are the worst bunch of teams. He's throwing the garbage can. And, and we just start laughing. We start laughing because it's so funny. And that just makes him so pissed that he just kicks open the door and leaves the room. We're just like, bah! So literally, he just, it, it doesn't matter. So when I told you, like, if we don't agree, well, I've trained myself. Okay, excellent. So you need to get your, as an athlete, you need to get there. You need to seek out. Someone is going to tell you you're doing it wrong. All right. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. You need to be praised. Sure. You need to be, you know, pat on the back. You're doing good. Like, come on, let's go. That, of course that is. But you need also someone's going to be, like, be honest with you and be you suck. Like you're not look, you know, you're not jumping correctly or whatever. Let's do it. So. Um, all right. We yeah. good. We good on uh, the because the, the, it's, it's a simple game. You hit it where they ain't. Simple game. Yeah, we're, we're good. And, and I like this because. So I'm also more or less self-taught. Like I have listened to a lot of people, but I try to stay open-minded about all the theories. I try them out. I see sort of what, what works. Mm -hmm. um, so, so just to, because uh, I haven't said if I agree or if I disagree with you here, uh, just, just so I don't know if it helps, but I will say that, that this is a new 
new way of describing things that I haven't heard before, and which means I'm going to go out and try it out. <laughs> and uh, and but it it does make sense for me. It's it's an approach that that makes sense. Like, and I I also think I know what you mean when you, when you mean that we can train things from the from backwards or from from the the front, and mm -hmm. and and certain skills you need to do from different. Uh, approach basically certain skills you want to do from the behind and certain from the front and and sometimes the skill you want to train one part from one direction and the other from another yeah. part from another and and it's it becomes this huge uh, it becomes quite complicated sometimes uh, certainly like oh so like I said so uh, we we can do passing when we get to that but hitting is a perfect example where the vast majority of coaches coach in the wrong direction. All right. They they do a mechanical training operation where they're saying this, 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 this hit. And that's not the case. This is what you're supposed to be doing. What is breaking down? All right. That's the difference between co coaching it forward versus coaching it backwards. OK, here here's how you hit in a mechanical forward parts place. First, you pass the ball. Then you move in a certain way and then you approach a certain way with certain steps ending with left, right, left. And then you jump, you two arms a jump, and then you go back into the arrow, and then you hit the ball with your wrist, and you do a wristy thing like that. <laughs> I couldn't disagree more, okay, with that <laughs> philosophy, all right, in this particular skill. As I told you, it is very, your goal is to win. How do you win? Uh -huh. You hit it where they're not. How do you do that? All right, what is, like, again, you show me, a I told you that nobody does this, okay, except the Norwegians. That's why they win. Right. There's other players. And, you know, I'll, I'll get to the, pat, the, the the core positioning. And the only person I've seen in forever who did that was Todd Rogers. And he won. OK. And I could point out to you, I get you could just sit there and go, you go where instead of so you, when you're training it backwards, you're trying to figure out where the athlete is making the wrong decision or the wrong choice or hasn't trained, isn't trained up on that section. OK. Uh -huh. that, that, that would be it. OK. Uh Wait, that, that last part there. Uh, did I miss something there? <laughs> this is, I know this is going to be a conversation that I will listen to over and over again. Uh, <laughs> and actually, I, I'm glad this is recorded because I've noticed before that, that certain, certain information packages take some time to to process like like you can listen to it you go out and try it and then you have your own sort of version of of your own understanding of what has been said and then you can go and listen to it again and now you pick up new information from for example what you said sure. uh, th does that make sense absolutely absolutely uh, yes so okay one, one more thing in my mind so you don't like um, the straight approach towards the net, but you like from the right to left, and you also like from the left to right. Was that? Well, here's the problem if you come straight in, and you can certainly do that. If you come straight in, you can't time the ball, hit it early or late, because the person's in front of you. You can't decide where, uh, you know, look, I, I can hit a ball. Uh-huh. Like, I can, all right, so here we go. I, I can hit the ball here, and I can hit the ball here, and that is five feet, all right? And a, a blocker cannot block that much space. So yeah, if I'm coming if, straight if in, you come in. If you come in with an angle, you can do that. 
Well, all right. Well, one is you can decide when you're going to stop the angle and hit the ball and where on the trajectory is going to go. All right. So, all right, ready? I, I, I can hit the ball here. I can hit the ball here. I can hit the ball over here. Hit the ball here. You see? Yeah. Again, I'm trying to I'm trying to create options. When, all right, I, I see where the, the block is. I see where the defense is. And now I have all these options. So if you come in straight, I, I, my opinion is I think you've cut out some of your options uh, 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 on what you can do against the other team. Yeah. But yeah, give it a try. You, know, you yeah. can probably when yeah. you come in, you can still you can still do this way. Uh, timing's not so good because it doesn't matter if you hit fast or high. It, it, you know, it's kind of well, maybe. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Uh, so. So one thing I'm I'm frustrated. I, I read in in some uh, there was an interview with you on uh, this uh, gods to ghosts uh, type of uh, website or something. Was. Yeah. Uh, 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 and and you said like uh, that you do believe that that things are mistaught in Valbon. And one very common thing that people teach is is that they say that you should come in straight on the right side. And I, I don't agree. Like uh, for me, the, the, my thinking has been if you are able to hit the outside of your shoulder, so to the right, if you're a right-handed player then it makes more sense to come in with an angle on the right side because you have more vision and it's easy to see the set ball. Yes. Now you've really pissed me off. I'm very <laughs> mad. <clears throat> I'm very mad. Why? <laughs> I, I don't like to be sitting here and making the, <laughs> the ritual right. medalist mad. <laughs> when beach ball, this is how mad I am. When beach volleyball was put into the Olympics, because they didn't want to make it a demonstration sport first, because they wanted to get right into the Olympics in the first year, they made it a discipline of volleyball. So they put it under the umbrella of indoor volleyball. Indoor volleyball and beach volleyball are not even on the same planet of sports, except that they have their own name, all right? So you are correct, on the right side, indoors, you should come in straight. I'm talking beach volleyball. So the first people who got involved in beach volleyball around the world were all indoor volleyball people. Okay. So yes, indoors, right side, you have to come in straight. That's that. That's a whole different story. But not on the beach. So if they're teaching that, all right. I, I, I won more terms than anybody on the planet. You, it's so easy. You come in. If they follow you, you go right. If they don't, you hit down. I mean, you. Uh, ha, I mean, that, that's you only go. You literally only go left to right just to mix it up a little bit because you get bored. All right. So you get bored, you get bored hitting the, you know, get winning every time, you know, hitting it down. You want Jose, I used to play with Jose Loyola, the great Jose Loyola. And all you had to do was go up and hit the ball over. He had a huge jump and these really long. Jose, just hit the ball at the back of the court. And he go, I, I, it's so boring. I have to, he want to just hit the ball so far down. I, 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 I go, and then he, sometimes he hit the ball in the bottom of the net. And that's the only time he got blocks when he tried to crank it and bounce the ball hot. I go, Jose, you just got blocked and hit the ball in the net. He goes, yeah, I was getting bored getting bored <laughs> all right dude it's tough out there so yeah literally you gotta want to move left to right every once in a while so you don't get bored that's on you made me mad fivb you know what we're going to talk about the tour maybe later on in the fivb the problem is they thinking like indoor people it's not the same sport all right it's got no characteristics yeah it's crazy yeah so there's that.
Uh, <laughs> oh my god that's so funny uh, <laughs> let's see what do we talk about next uh <laughs> no wonder why everyone's doing it wrong i mean coach wrong so i'm so it makes sense that i'm watching the olympics and these guys aren't winning and they're coming straight in I'm like why are they doing that I'm like now nah, you answered my question that's what they're teaching <laughs> let me give an example here's an example <laughs> from baseball actually if, uh, i don't know is your uh, you more american more euro uh, no. i'm more euro but uh, i try to understand more sports but uh, i'll let you know if if you're going into details that i don't understand well all right anyway so the history of mechanical training comes from the fact that we had video cameras before we didn't have video cameras in sport mm -hmm. right so the way they trained athletes when when they've got video cameras, they started videoing athletes and they started looking at the videos and saying, oh, that guy's doing this and that guy's doing this. We should train that. Then they did motion capture, right? The, mm -hmm. the volleyball one was done by Flo Hyman. Any uh, people out there who know their uh, volleyball history, the great American female volleyball player. So, you know, they did, they did capture technology and her ankle was at 32 degrees and her knee was at 50 degrees and her shoulder was at da -da -da, and they got all this data and they tried to teach that mechanically which is how they do it now. Oh, your shoulder has to be at 36 degrees. I, I, I believe that is wrong for many reasons, but that's not the point. So in baseball, you're swinging a bat, right? You have a bat in your hand and the ball is coming. You're just trying to hit a ball. I'm not trying to get complicated, but on your back foot, they used to teach something called squish the bug. You okay, push yeah. on your back foot, you push into the ground through your hips to drive your hips, to drive power into the ball. So every kid, was trained to squish the bug, all right? The problem with that is uh, they replaced video cameras with digital cameras. And when they did super high speed digital cameras and they could do it almost frame by frame, they found out that the baseball players were not squishing the bug, their back foot was actually off the ground. Okay. Okay. For a briefest of moment, very slightly, their back foot comes up and is off the ground. They had been training them completely wrong for forever, all right? So your kid, you know, you show up with your kid, this is an American, and you want them to be in the Yankees because you love baseball, and you're eight years old, and your kid's there, and they're just start off teaching them incorrectly. And, and that's a story of really tragedy. And it's not, I'm not blaming the coaches, right? Uh, coaches love to coach. Coaches love to coach athletes. Coaches have a lot of knowledge and information. Coaches want to develop, they want to give it, and they, then they start talking too much, right? Because they get excited because they're coaching and they're coaching people. Right. And, you know, sometimes you just want to go. But there's a perfect example of something they were training people on that was wrong because they were using a modality, the video camera, uh, to to try to decide mechanically how it should be. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, that that is a strategy. And my personal opinion uh, is, is that this happens in, in volleyball. Also, there's a lot of advice that I hear coaches give to people. And I'm like, can we just sit down and watch the best players play? Because they're not doing what you're telling people to do. <laughs> and, and, All right. So I am this is why I have a project where I explain my theories on beach volleyball, because I just think simply a lot of the stuff out there is not what the best players are doing. <laughs> That's why I said my God's the ghost interview. So I, I, I literally right. This is the way human brains work. We we have very difficult time knowing reality. We with just we can't get to truth. It's very difficult. The, the I'm not a coach and I am not a baseball coach. Okay, mm -hmm. but 
I know forwards and backwards, and I know mechanical training, rhythmic power. And when I was sitting there with my little daughter, my, my, my daughter's actually a softball player. She's super cute. Same baseball, softball, <clears throat> same concept. She's a, you know, awesome, best hitter on her team because um, I help coach her, coach her bet, betting. And every time the coaches get a hold of her, they screw up her hitting, which pisses me off. I'm like, Catherine, why can't you hit the ball? Well, they told me to do X, Y, Z. I said, would you please just because I because I'm not a coach. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. So but I've been coached. So when my kid was young and some guy, the coach, the official trained coach was doing the squish the bug thing with the hips and all that. I'm like, that doesn't even sound remotely right. I don't know anything, but it's not even remotely right. So I did what you did. I went to video. I said how to hit a baseball. And mm -hmm. I looked at their feet. OK. And I looked I had digital there's on the Internet, digital camera. And I thought. This is great, you know. I'm gonna help out. I'm a really good guy, and I'm a beach volleyball player, and I'm a gold medalist. So I showed these dads. I go, look, dude, look, look, look at Albert Pujols. Look at the top baseball players. Their feet. There's just it really. It's like microseconds of time it comes off the ground. So this squish the bug thing is that's not the way to hit. And they go, well, what do you know about softball? You're a beach volleyball player. And I was like, what do you know about softball? You're an electrical engineer. I got a video. Showing it anyway. So, uh, yeah. I if you tell me that you talk to people with bringing them video evidence and they don't believe you, I can believe that. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you show me the Norwegians doing something that they're not coaching, I would not be surprised because the goal is their goal is not to win. Okay, if their goal was to win, they would they would not be doing that. Right. So a lot of times goals of like. What, are, what could be the goals of coaches? The goals of coaches could be to coach. They like coach. They like people. They like developing people. That's great. That's that's wonderful stuff. And by the way, not everybody's going to win, right? I mean, most coaches are dealing with people who are never, you know, like there's 350 NCAA college basketball programs in the United States, and there's one winner at the team, and there's you only got, the kid's got four years. So most people are not going to win. Most coaches are not going to coach people who win. So a lot of times, it's not necessarily their goal, right? Yeah. So I told you it's a controversial philosophy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. But but that's why that's why we we. we so got you tell me why does that make you uncomfortable? So I've, I actually, like I said, I, I don't do this for a living. Never talked about it. I've never even shared it, only because I'm writing this book. Um, but I knew this going on. Um, and when I say these things, you sort of smile and let it go. <laughs> does it make it? Does it make you nervous? Does it make you? No, what, no, what about no. it? What about it? Because it seems so clear to me. Yes. No. That's that's a, that's good that you point that out. Uh, there's so there's a part of my so I'm not I have been doing this podcast for a while, uh, but it's really interesting because for me my mind when I do this I have to balance between thinking about how to make a good podcast episode, uh, but also discussing what we're discussing, and and there's a there's a part of me that would want to go because you know these conversations you can go in, into something and and it becomes a fucking world of of sub discussions mm -hmm. um and uh, I, i'm so what's happening in my mind when when you say some of these things is is i i agree uh, i would also ask some more questions i can also envision a lot of these people that i know that would disagree with you <laughs> <laughs> and then at Good the same time, <laughs> and, and then at the same time, I'm 
I'm thinking, where should I steer this conversation to, to make a great podcast episode? So actually, this just says that I should uh, maybe learn to become better at recording podcasts or, or become <laughs> podcasts. But, but th- does that make sense? Yeah, sure, uh, sure, sure. So again, uh, so since I again, I, since I don't do this, uh, I don't get that kind of feedback. Like I wouldn't know whether these things I'm saying aren't coached or people would disagree. And if they want to disagree with me, I'm not in competition with them. I'm not a volleyball coach. Exactly. Exactly. Double, double, double thumbs up if you don't agree with me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm not in charge of the USA Beach Volleyball Program. I don't coach anyone. Yeah. So. Exactly. No, that that makes complete sense. I'm not trying and, to sell and, a coaching program. I'm not trying to sell a <laughs> website. I'm not trying to. Yeah. <laughs> I got no stake in it. So. Maybe you want to listen to me. I don't know. And I won. I won more than anybody else. <laughs> exactly. You never know. You never know. You know, Belichick might have a few things to say, right? What if Sep? Yeah. Well, okay. Go on. Sorry. We're, by the way, we're only we've only gotten hitting. We've done one thing. It's been an hour, and we uh, yeah. just got we just done hitting. <laughs> I, I don't know how you get through podcasts. You know, if the whole it's, it, there's a, there's like four or three. I don't know how. I, I, that's why you got to keep it simple. Volleyball, simple. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me hear some more simple explanations then. Uh, let's go into into blocking. I had a listener that wanted to to hear about blocking, and I think you alluded to it before. All right. So, how do we start every conversation? All right. Our goal is to win. Uh-huh. Period. Yes. All right. We're blocking. What are we trying to do? We are trying to increase the chances okay, for us to win the point. What? Increase the chances for us to win the point. Excellent. How is normally, how, how, yeah, and how do we do that? <clears throat> By, uh, this is probably where I'm going to answer wrong, according to you. Uh, either we, we stuff block or we make things easier for our defender. All right. Let me, let me put it to you this way. I think most people would say that. If, if your goal is to win, and we're talking about blocking, you're trying to block the ball. Okay? Mm-hmm. You're trying to block the hitter. Would you agree most people would say that? So a lot yeah. of them are training you how to block a ball. I don't mm-hmm. agree that with that philosophy. Yeah. All right? Now, I've just described to you how to hit a ball. Mm-hmm. How to hit a ball is I have five options plus four plus two. All right? Mm-hmm. Plus four. Aquatic, quadratic equations. Yeah. <laughs> I have yeah. the advantage. I have such an enormous advantage that there's no way you can block me. So if you're trying to block me, you're going to lose. So what do you got? What's the philosophy of blocking? Well, when do I give up points? When when does my system? I told you my simple system, starting with seeing what happens. Somewhere I've broken down in the chain. So I've made a mistake, mm-hmm. okay? You are not trying to block the hitter. You are trying to block the ball when they make a mistake. Yeah, okay? I like that. So when we, if, if we, so, you know, part of, part of, you know, watching video and, um, you know, what's that called when you're charting, all right? Most people chart what they do. See, I, we didn't have any coaches. I didn't know how to chart. I didn't know what you're supposed to do with charting, but I was like, 
if I can figure out where you make your errors, where you get lazy, you if, if I see you coming in straight, I got you. If I see you looking up, what are you going to do? Because sports is a repetitive motion thing. We practice, we practice, we practice. So you have muscle memory, correct? Mm -hmm. Well, you have muscle memory when you're playing. So you can predict what an athlete's going to do under certain circumstances, right? Every time Sidney patter pattered his feet, he hit line. Every time Karch was off in transition, he cut. Every time. Every time Sidney did this with his hand, he hit that way. Every time he hit that with his hand, he hit that way. I got that because I was watching tape. So I'm not trying to block Karch. I'm trying to wait for he's off the net in transition because I know where he's going. Oh, that's defense. Hold on. We're a bit blocking, right? So... Right. I, I, I know that Sinjin, if Sinjin's hand is look, going this way, where is he going to block the ball? Or is he gonna, he's going to hit the baseball. If his hand is this way, where is he going to hit the ball? This way. So I'm not trying to block him. I'm trying to key off on his hand. You get me? So, and the problem is, is that most people, if you look at them, their block timing is off in beach volleyball. Again, this is not indoor volleyball, which shouldn't be called indoor volleyball. They should be called Mininet, which was the original name. And then they screwed up and called the same name as my sport, which I'm internally upset about. So in Mininet, you have a different block timing than you do in beach. Okay. And everybody that I see, except for the Norwegians and the Russian guy, uh, don't have the correct block timing. They're going too early, basically. Okay. You have to go late. Why do you have to go late? You have to go late because you're not trying to block the person. You're trying to block the mistake. And the later you can jump, the later, the, the, the longer you have to figure out if he's going to make a mistake and can you exploit it? You with me? Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So if you look at a lot of the blockers that are, that are not being successful, they are usually blocking too, they're jumping too early. And if you look at the blockers that are successful, they're usually blocking later. All right. Now, of course, the game's changed. So everyone's tall. Everyone's got long arms. So yeah. Right. Hmm. That's blocking. Right. But it comes about from the philosophy. It comes about from, you know, studying videotape. You know, you have to study videotape to see what they're doing. Everybody has got what's called it's called a tell. OK. And I, I'm not going to get too complicated with you, but the way the brain works is we think we're living in the moment and we actually are living in the past. So your brain generates a thought to your body, which you perceive as being in the current moment. And athletics is no different. So the the generation of the thought of whether the opposing whether it's going to hit angle or line happens before they start moving their arm. Okay, then you have a repetitive, you know, um, you know, muscle memory that tend to do the same things, right? Mm -hmm. If you can watch enough, to, again, you're not trying to block the ball. You're trying to find when they're going to make a mistake. You're trying to find that time when they've done. They, they've they've decided you, you you've found out what they're going to do too early you can see where they're going because of muscle memory they've made a mistake in their standard set coming in and that's what you're looking for all the time okay right yes so you're trying to figure out when they they make mistakes and in those cases you you do try to block them uh yes you're, well you're trying to block where the ball is going to go right yes of course all yes right? yes okay and okay. What you do, Again, what you do when when you see that they're they're in rhythm, they're they're doing what they're supposed to do. What do you do as a blocker then? You just you go get a you go get a drink of water uh, by the sidelines and uh, look. 
it, it was war. It's bad now. We had a 30 by 30 court. All right. The court is 25% larger than I played on. Mm-hmm. If you came in with a standard set seeing me, which Sinjin did, I, 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 I got to go watch TV. I'm not, there's no use of doing anything. Okay. There's no use. You're done. Di- and here's, all right. Here's another bit of philosophy that some people have a problem with. All right. And it's hard for them. If your goal is to win, period, and if your opponent does what they should do, you will lose, and that's hard. And you have to come to that exception. You have to come to that that you know that that understanding that there is nothing. The beach volleyball or volleyball beach volleyball is so hard psychologically and mentally because it's not about you. Like there are times when you can't win, and if you have a winning mindset, which is our goal is to win, and we you you have driving that, and you're like. All right. I was in the 1991 World Championships in Rio. I was playing with Tim Hovind against Sinjin and Randy. We were up in the games. We were, we were up in both games. It was two out of three to 12. We were beating them in the first game, and they came back and smoked us. And I go, okay. We get up in the second game. I'm like, all right, that was a mistake. They came back and smoked us. There was nothing we could do. We could not serve harder. They were not making mistakes. They saw everywhere we were, and we just went down to defeat. And it was completely crushing for me. I sat on the sidelines and I cried my eyes out in my towel because there's nothing I could do. It's very hard, right? And that's you, you, but you have to just say, all right, if the if, if if Phil Dahlhauser is going to get a good look on the ball and have a good jump, you're done. Okay, you're done. There's, you of course you try. You never give up. You're always going for it. But just you know, brush yourself out. Go go back and get ready to receive serve. All right. Yep. So again, we didn't have any coaches tell us what to do. So we, I had to sort of generate this philosophy. Like, God, what's going on? I go, I go. All right. So I'm sitting there on, de- for example, I'll be on defense, right? And Sinjin staring right at me with the ball. All right. Here's a drill. Ready? I love it when I say this. I used it when I was younger. Actually, it's even better now. I'm 54 years old. Uh-huh. If I went out there today with you, we would beat every team on the entire beach volleyball team. Or the tour. Every one of them. Crush the Volley Vikings. Be so simple. All right. You do, you, do you believe me? You and me. Uh, if I believe you, uh, <laughs> well, uh, I wish I would say yes, but no, I don't believe you. Uh, right. I was, it's a trick question because I didn't say how we do it. If you put me on a three-foot platform at the net with the ball, are they going to ever stop me 54 years old? No. no, I'm gonna. Right, it's the jumping that's the problem. It's the approaching. It's the pass. It's the set. Okay. Again, if if your opponent's in that position where they're standing on a platform, which it, it is when they're doing it correctly, you're done. Okay, and you just gotta accept that without giving up. You waiting. You're waiting. I mean, we were down to Carl Hinkle and Sinjin Smith, twelve to eight in the match of the century, right? Which we detail specifically in the book, and we were getting beaten. Right? There's only two reasons why a team wins or or why a team loses, right? Two reasons why you lose. Either you're better than the other team and they beat you, or they're better than you and they beat you, right? There's no other option. Now, if they're the better team, they're going to beat you a lot of times, right? Mm -hmm. But you stick in there, you're fighting, you're working hard because they make mistakes and you get hot, right? Now, if you're the better team, you just kick everybody's butt. But occasionally, you're not playing well. You didn't bring your A game. They got hot. 
Well, you, you need to you need to start shifting and doing some new things, getting back on track. Okay, so we were down 12-8, and they were beating us because they were pissed off because Karch was really mean to him and called him nasty names. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. and and I sat there. I go, all right. So one of the problems I had in the Olympics, and one of the reasons why we were losing, <clears throat> is because I was sort of out of balance, right? It, you know, mental, physical, emotional is training. All those three things are working within you, and I realized that I was I was. I realized I was over-focused, okay? I, 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 was, I was taking it too seriously, all right? So a little voice inside of my head, and it was like, the way the brain works is fascinating. The way athletes' brains works is fascinating. The way the, the chemicals work, the dopamine, the, all that other stuff works, as it flows into your brain is fascinating. What's called, it creates time dilation. So for people out there, like, literally time stops, Right. Then you begin to see into the future. So you you see what your opponent's going to do and time stopped or at least time is super slow. mo. OK, Formula One racers do not see the world the same way you and I do. So they're going 200 miles an hour around a curve with a guy next to them. It's like you and me driving 35 miles down the street. All right. Yeah. So they process the information faster. Their brain is the tips, whatever. Anyway, so I was over focused and this little voice inside my head was like, you're not having any fun. And I, it, 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 it's, it, it's like, I wrote about it in some Facebook page. So, and I was like, what, what the, what? I, I, I don't know if you lost swearing on your podcast, but yeah, I was like, what, what is this voice inside my head? Because I don't, I'm, I'm going to give you a little tip that many people don't know. We professional elite gold medal winningest player of all time athletes are just like you. We get nervous. We get fearful. We get exhausted. We have thoughts in our brain. We tell ourselves we suck, right? Uh, everything you guys do, we lose focus. The difference between an elite level athlete and you is that we can recognize it earlier and we could get back on track quicker, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're feeling down, you do something called emotional swapping. You swap to another emotion you want and you ramp it up. You do emotional ramping. So if you lose focus, the first thing is I'm losing focus. Get back. Like I said, I lost focus on that one play when I came in straight and Carl stuffed me. I, I, I go. So I said, I am not going to lose focus again. I can't. We're down 12-8. We're losing. But I can't do that. So um, I, this little voice inside my head. And it was funny because it was the eight-year-old boy. The eight-year-old boy who wanted to win the Olympics. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. the, 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 the conversations aren't in English, but again, if you understand the structure of the brain, the brain is made up of parts. We, we, we kind of sense the world around us as, as if we're a single unitary being, but we're not. There are parts of us that are fighting other parts of us, parts of us working with other parts, and parts that are trying to like, there's literally a part in your brain which is telling you to stop playing. Stop playing volleyball, go sit down, go get in the shade, stop, stop. Okay, you're not stopping, I'm gonna send pain. There's your back. There's your knee. There's your shoulder. Stop. 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 All right. Mm-hmm. That's what your body's doing. It. You, you got to be like, quiet. 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 <laughs> quiet. Stop talking to me. I don't care. You want to. You want to. You you you, you want to pain in my shoulder so bad it feels like you're stabbing me in the arm. Good for you. I ain't stopping. I'm gonna hit the ball. All right. I'm focused. I'm waiting. Right. So this little voice inside my head. And again, it's not. In, it's not. A, it's not in words. It's not in English. It's not an actual conversation. This, are we talk to ourselves all the time. If you ever noticed, we talked about uh, our book, The Inner Game of Tennis, right? The two selves. So for all yes. you people listening out there who get the book, it's great. There's Bob Rotella wrote a book called Golf is Not a Good Game of Perfect, which is even better. 
uh, more up-to-date mod. Yeah, and I think there's one. Oh God, you know. Well, let me see if I, if I put that one away too. There's another one that's like really good where I where I learned about the 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 Finnish cross-country skier. If you want, I could just run into my uh, run into my closet and pull it out for your, for the people. But simply for those people that don't know, is it's the his book started with this philosophy. He's watching an athlete. And they're they're talking to themselves, and his mm. and his thought. This is there's many things in the book, but this is what caught me. Who is the athlete talking to? So the athlete says, "Come on, get focused." Who are they talking to? Sometimes you hear the athlete verbalize it, but it's going on inside the brain, and sometimes it's not coming out of their mouth. Who or what is the athlete talking to? And from that, he got the concept of the two selves. One part of you is talking to another part of you like who is the athlete mm -hmm. saying to come on to come on let's go focus god damn it Kent! focus like who am i speaking to i'm speaking to the part of the thing which is you know oh, you know right so his voice is thought in the back of my head and it's going you're not having any fun and i literally i, I it was a timeout it was 12 8 and we're losing uh, was it 12 yeah was, I, there was side change side change right side change and we're losing, and none of that we're be you're getting beat, and I know we're getting beat because we're not making they're not making mistakes, and Karch was because they were mean to each other all the time, right? It's a great story. <laughs> it's a great story. <laughs> you know, you just don't piss off another athlete, especially when they you guys were best friends. They were best friends, became enemies. Oh, it's just horrible. So, it, it, it's, again, I, I, and I'm sitting there going, all right, look, I'm calm. I'm, I'm not going to stop. I'm fighting. I'm going, I'm going to lose. And I'm going to lose the dream I had. And so, this voice is like, you're not having any fun. And my first thought was to take my head and bash it on the pole to try to kill whatever this thing was that was telling me you're not having any fun. Literally, I wanted, like, so if you ever watch Karch playing today, get some videos of him. He would punch himself in the forehead like this when he didn't like how he was playing. He would take his fist and punch himself as hard as he could in the fist, right? Okay. So clearly, there was something going on in his brain that wasn't working right that he didn't knock around. You know how you, when you, you have a mechanical thing and the first thing you do is you hit it and try to see if it works, you know? Like yeah. You kick, you kick it. Yeah. So that's what Karch is doing to his brain, right? Now, okay. because I had read the inner game of tennis, I know that you can't, you can't, it's not, you know, you can't, sh you know, do that to your car. It actually doesn't work. <laughs> you can't, like, can't put a hammer on the engine. It's not going to do anything. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> so, fi finally, the kid, the, the voice, the boy, little boy was like, well, the, I'm like, I'm like, fun. We're not here to have fun. I mean, we're here to win. Right? And he goes, so are we. We're here to win, too. And you're not having any fun. And when you were eight years old and wanted to be a gold medalist, he goes, he goes, I was there with you. I've been with you the whole time. This is what kind of way the conversation. This is if you want to know like why athletes are crazy sometimes, is because this is the conversation we have in our own brains of the side changes in the Olympics in the match of the century. <laughs> so, but it's a good thing to start if you're interested in this, because all this physical stuff, all this strategy stuff we're talking about, mental is so important. Emotional strength is so important. Emotional swapping, emotional ramping. Will get you way farther than your foot than, than your approach your footstep your approach literally there's a very famous baseball coach in the united states who said sports is 90 percent mental 50 percent physical and 25 percent all the other stuff and if you can understand that you will understand how to become a great athlete
So I'm on the sidelines. I'm uh, becoming psychotic because I'm clearly talking to myself or something. So the AR boy's like, well, we were there with you the whole time. Like, we were at the practices. We trained. We suffered. We did all that stuff. We did it because we liked, loved it. We did it because we loved playing volleyball. This was what the voice says. We did it because it was fun. And I said, well, what should I do? Because, again, sometimes you want to listen to those voices in your head. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the things go bad when you listen to the wrong voices in your head. But <laughs> this was a good voice in the head for me. So the voice says to me, he goes, Look, he goes, stand up, look around. Like, look around. You're in the Olympics, for God's sakes. This was our dream. Our dream was to go to the Olympics, and the stadiums are beautiful. They're immaculate. It's immaculately beautiful because there's not all the, you know, the, uh, and the people are on the uniforms, and the pageantry of the Olympics is wonderful, and the crowd is enormous, and they're roaring because, look, how often do people get a chance to go see an Olympic match in person? It doesn't, you know, 1936 LA, 1984 LA. I got a chance. 80, and it's going to come back. Like, I'm from LA. We got a couple more chances than, you know, you do in Finland. You had one chance, Helsinki, back in the day, mm-hmm. if you want to go watch the Olympics. So they love it. Everybody loves it. Everybody's having fun. You know, the people that are working there are volunteers. They're doing it because they, fu- they love it. And I'm the only one not having any fun. And that's why I'm losing. I'm losing because I'm not in balance, okay? I over-focus. So, boom, I come back. Short story long, I come, I come back into balance. I looked, I looked up. I'm like, this is the, I'm so happy. And a smile comes across my face. And I'm like, ah, we're going to win. It's over. We're going to win. <laughs> that's it. 12 to 8. We're done. They're done. They're done now because get back in the zone. So a lot of other stuff happened anyway. We got off track of blocking, didn't we? Woo. Uh, we, did we, we start? Did. Were we unblocking? I'm sorry. So, anyway. so, so, no, but you, you said so. So we got into I learned some new stuff about blocking. I'm going to just mention super quick. Uh, so it seems like we both like the inner game of tennis. That is a book that absolutely changed my life. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I owe so much to that book. Uh, I haven't read the the golf uh, book. Uh, I have had it recommend recommended to me before you mention it now. So I'm going to make sure to read that ASAP. Um, the third book, uh, whether you run and get it now or or you do it later. I'm going to do it. Okay. Okay. Do 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 do. Maybe I should. <laughs> How do I entertain everyone on the podcast? Talk, I just get about, talk about what not to do. Talking about what not to do. Uh, but it was interesting. Um, I like that Kent um, said that I had this awkward smile because I've actually thought about this before, which is uh, like h- how to be a be a good podcast host, and and I need to. I need to uh, do some more research on that. Okay, that was my little. <laughs> All right, it's called the sports jeans. Sports jeans. Sports jeans. G e n e. Inside. Sports David Epstein. Yeah, in inside the science of extraordinary athletic performance, and it's not like the inner game of tennis. It's not like golf is not a game of perfect. It will de- show you. Uh, the part that is the best is how the brain and the chemicals in the brain work to do you know uh, high performance is basically it so it's a lot okay. of mental stuff it's great so that, can, that I was ask, can i ask you a super quick question sure Does it so i i read in the some book which i have not been able to confirm uh that 
dopamine works like oil in an engine for for our signals, our motor control signals. So if you don't have dopamine in your brain, literally the signals controlling your arms, controlling your legs will move slower and you will be one few milliseconds off and you shank yep. the ball, you miss hit the ball. Oh yeah. Does, does that book talk about that? Oh, 100% absolutely. And there are five brain chemicals that do it and you have to you have to learn to generate those brain chemicals in your body. Okay. Okay. So since we're since you're in Scandinavia, let's talk about the Vikings, the berserkers, not the volley Vikings, the real Vikings, the okay. butt kickers that you know took over you know England. The berserkers, what would they do? They 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 do these they they punch themselves and not like what Karch was doing. They they yeah. yell and moon. They 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 tried to take on the aspects of animals like wolves and bears. They were trying to generate these dopamine levels in their brain so they could have better performance. It's exactly what you're doing. Now, here's the interesting thing about it is when you go from sitting around to a, an elite performance, that's a pretty quick state state change, right? You're going from, you know, when I won the, so I talked about when I lost the world championship in 91 and 93, I won the world championships in Rio de Janeiro. And uh, you're sitting in the player's lounge and you're underneath the stadium and it's air conditioned and uh, the place is rocking and you think it's going to like collapse on you because the walls are shaking. And they come to you and they say, you have five minutes before the final starts. Go. And you grab your bag and you go to the stadium and it's hot and it's steamy and everyone's screaming and it's loud. And you got to fire up for the world championships. You might not get another chance, Kent. You don't get many chances to win gold medals. That is an enormous state change from sitting in the player's tent, having a drink to that kind of environment. Well, your body is going to ramp up. Your nervous system is going to ramp up. you got to get the dopamine levels up. A lot of times, athletes interpret that as nervousness. Like, I'm getting nervous. Oh, I'm, I, I get nervous before I play, Kent. I'm like, no, you're not. Your body is preparing itself for a state change. You know, Sinjin talked about how he would get butterflies before he played. That's a, that's a, a English. You guys, are you familiar with that English term? Butterflies yeah, in the stomach? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So for those non-English speakers, it's nervousness. He would get super nervous. And the more nervous he was, he knew the better he'd play. Right. Uh -huh. So he had. Didn't he said something about making the butterflies fly in the same direction. He just no because no he just oh, okay. knew. Well, okay. it, it, look, he interpreted it correctly. He interpreted it as a state change, all right, of his body. His body is getting ready to change from what he's doing to what he's doing. And it, 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 look, I, I mean, all right. So if, if I were to, if you're sitting there right now. If I were like to snap my fingers and set you on the tip of a rocket ship, shooting off the moon, you go, ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But if you're like, <laughs> but if you're sitting in the thing and it's kind of lifting off slowly and you're kind of, you, you, you get used to it. But so these, that's what, that, sort of, that's what I'm saying is, is, uh, uh, it, it, first of all, you should never believe that anything that's happened, if you're a normal person, clearly, there's people on either side of the bell curve. But if you are, if you are experiencing something, no matter what emotion or no matter what mental state, you must believe, well, they say like, be kind to yourself, love yourself first, that it's totally normal, all right? Most people are like, oh, I'm so anxious. Oh, I'm so fearful. Oh, I'm so depressed. Yeah, well, you're a human being and we must have them for a reason because we have them, right? So. Anxiety, everyone's anxiety. All the women drink their glass of wine at the end of the day. I'm so anxious. 
Well, anxiety is if you anxiety is your body's most effective motivational tool. Remember when I tell you your body's doing all sorts of things? Do you try to? They're trying to get you to stop. Yeah. They're trying to get you to. When your body wants to motivate you, it sends anxiety your way. All right. So the first thing you need to say when you get anxiety is, "All right, what do you want me to do? What what what, what am I not doing? Did I not? You know?" And then you can you can begin to have. Remember I told you like we're, we're beach volleyball. Maybe maybe it's me. I'm a crazy. Um, conversations with myself, like I said, with the eight year old boy in the Olympics. Uh, uh, fine, stamp me nuts. But if the first thing you say is, "All right, what do you want me to do?" I want you to, and then you could kind of have a conversation like, well, hey, look, I'll, I'll get to it or fine, I'll do it. Right? But again, you're not in charge necessarily. You know, sometimes anxiety is in charge, you know, sometimes depression's in charge. And the reason is, is you're not listening. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're not listening. So there's a concept called the central governor theory. All right. So the central governor theory states that when you engage in an athletic contest, your body or your brain, this central governor inside your brain sits there and goes, okay, what level of output am I going to allow this, per, my, the, 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 the bag of skin that I'm inside of, how hard am I going to allow him to do, to perform his skill based on my estimate of how long the competition will be? So there's actually something in your brain that says, all right, one hour volleyball, I'm going to set his ability to jump, compete, run at this level, all right? Mm-hmm. Normally, that gets set at between 60 and 70% of what you're totally capable of doing, all right? So if you don't learn to get push past the central governor in your brain, you will only be performing at 60% of your total ability, all right? You, you want to get better? Does everybody want to get better out there today? Tell yourself, tell the central governor to wait till you're at 90. All right. You will get instantly better. It's so well documented, so well known. Uh, when, when you feel totally exhausted, you are so exhausted, you don't think you can play anymore, work out anymore. You are at 70 percent. I mean, you have 30 percent left in the tank. Your body. Now, why is your body doing it? Your body's doing it to protect you. Your body's doing it. Is because if you go past this safety mechanism, all right, you will fall down and a lion will come by and eat you. Right? Huh. That's what that's what it's in there for. If you if you collapse, the, the, the guy next to you is gonna stab you or whatever. But we don't live in that time. And we're 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 athletes, right? <laughs> the lion's not gonna eat you if you fall apart. Like when we played beach volleyball uh, in the 90s, the game is different and, and the tournaments are different. We would play extended terms where guys would literally cramp. Their entire body was cramped, and they'd have to be. They send them to the hospital, okay, because they were so dehydrated. Because we had trained ourselves to push so far beyond the central governor theory that we were endangering ourselves, but but well before. So, um, your body. The reason your bo- pain. So well, actually, fatigue. Fatigue is not real. It's an emotion. Okay. So if you're tired, your body is trying to tell you to get you tired to get you to stop what it's doing. So your choice, right, what's the goal? Is the goal to win or is the goal to sit down? Your, it's your choice to say, I don't care if I'm tired. Go ahead. Pain. Pain, sure, if, if, if somebody hits you in the leg with a baseball bat, it's going to cause pain. But if you're doing something that your body doesn't like, that this part of the central governor doesn't like, 
it's going to send pain at you because you're getting you're getting past its safety threshold. You with yeah. me? Right. So, you know, the car, it's in the red, it's in the red, it's in the red. Right. So as you start going to this, your body starts sending you pain to get you to stop. You're not actually in pain and there's no damage that's going to be happening. And this is very day. Don't try this at home. Right. Because you could, if you're not a professional athlete and well trained, you would know this. Um, that uh, you, right, so you, you just tell people, like, look, I, I, we're not we're not even close to the edge here. So stop, you know, you can actually talk to yourself and say, pain, knock it off. We're playing volleyball. I'm not listening to you. I'm going to play. So you can do pain all you want. I'm not paying attention to it, right? <laughs> so athletes, athletes are world famous, and, and that's how you do it. I mean, it's just so simple as if you take any muscle, all right, uh, based on the size, the structure of the muscle, there's a maximum amount of load that muscle can take. Again, yes. most people are only able to lift. In your normal day, you're probably lifting 50, 60. If you're a professional athlete, you can get to, you can train the muscle to lift 70 to 80% of what its total capacity is. Now, if you're a power lifter, those guys can get it to 90, but 93, 94. But they can't get it to 97. So there is a theoretical maximum all this stuff that uh, uh, – I just find fascinating. That's in that book, The Sports Gene, for sure. All of this is in The Sports Gene also? Mm, I think so, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I don't, I don't yeah. do this for a living. Yeah. <laughs> and and nobody, agrees, nobody agrees with me anyway, so what does it matter? Yeah. yeah. So, but, so yeah, by the way, nobody, nobody reads research. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you ever seen coaches with textbooks? Coach on the side of the tournament? Oh, geez. Taking notes? Wait a minute. Where's that study? No, they got their clipboard. Here's a play. Oh, your arm's wrong. Your shoulder's wrong. Bah. All right, we're, we're going to get nowhere. We're going to get nowhere if I keep telling these stories. All right, what's next? So we did blocking. We good? Any, any questions on that? Uh, so, But, yeah, so, literally. It, well, so I was a professional athlete. I was an elite athlete. I was at the top of my game. Uh, it, it was my craft, okay? No different than a woodworker knows wood, Okay. I, that was my craft, so I went about becoming an expert in it. Again, you know, as an athlete, doesn't a coach could help them with this if they don't want to, you know, not, not every athlete wants to read books. They want to play, uh, you know, first-person first shooter video games all day long, which is fine. But, you know, someone could try to tell them. But, yeah, so it was, it was, I just, it was my craft, and I was interested in it. So, and I still am. I read, that, I read the Sports Gene book six months ago, right? Yeah. I'm not an athlete anymore, and I don't coach, and I'm involved. But I still, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. It's fascinating stuff, isn't it? Is, it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's. Uh, I'm a nerd, not not because of anything else, than uh, and it's just it makes life more fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. like, like, yes, I, I do coach for money, and and I, I do uh, like make a oh. living from from yeah. it also. But it, but it's just a win-win because it's uh, I'm fascinated about it I, I'm fascinated about it and it makes me better at my pro profession so so it's just like yeah awesome it's, it, it's good yeah so okay so on blocking so far I understood if we are trying to understand when the opponents do mistakes when they do we try to close that down when they don't make mistakes we are not going to do much of anything of value anyway as a blocker yeah. Uh, is, is there some other parts of blocking that you find important? Is there some other scenarios? Uh, well, all right. So 
Um, again, I, again, you got to approach it. The goal is to win. Mm-hmm. What is your philosophy uh, in the movement? And yeah, we can get a little more complicated. All right, sometimes you got to run plays because you're, you're again you're trying to make. All right, so if if you knew, yeah, I mean, look, like if, if you if you if I knew you're going to block line every time, every time, all right, because that's you just or a person is going to do that. I'm just going to hit angle all day and I'm going to win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am less. I'll, I'll have less of a chance to make a mistake. Now, you can do plays and blocking. I'll take line. You know, I'll jump the angle. I'll take the ball. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll move. I'll, I'll do this and do this. I'll do this and do this. And the only, But the point is, you're doing that. Why? Not to block the ball. You're doing that to try to get your opponent to make a mistake. Yeah. You with me? So if you think, I'm all right, I, I'm going to block the angle because I'm going to try to block the angle. That's wrong. You're, you're mixing up your blocking scheme in order to create confusion, you're trying to go as late as you can to make him make a mistake. So yeah, so it's not just all, you, you can't just always wait for the mistake or always wait, again, there's two things, a mistake or when you know when, when you when you know what they're gonna do, right? When when mm-hmm. they do that, what's it called? A tell at baseball, right? Tell. Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so pronounced, you know, there was, there's a baseball player. He did this before a fastball, and he didn't do that before a curveball. And that was the only difference, and they got smacked him out of the World Series. But that's how quick Major League Baseball players got on a little tail. So, yeah, one, when the opponent makes a mistake, and two, when you know what they're going to do. You got it? Mm-hmm. And then three, you're mixing up your scheme to try to make it so that they're thinking. Yeah, you want them thinking. What's he going to do? What's he going to oh, You're late. Like, what? what uh, ah, I made a mistake. Uh, too late. I made a mistake, right? And I mean, again, I'm not a coach and I don't claim to be. That seems to be plenty to win. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I, don't know else, I don't know what else you want to do with blocking. Yeah. That, but that although we are an hour and a half in and we've only gotten to two things, so it is more complicated than <laughs> most people think when they tell me only three things, Kent. Yeah, yeah. Vision, blocking, positioning. So I need to know you want to go medal like I did and the Norwegians and Todd Rogers. Simple, simple game. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Are you short on time? No, no, no. We're good to go. I'm super enjoying this. And I'm I'm having a good time, too. I'm having a great time. That's amazing. Uh, It's it's good if I can make make the guests have that. Uh, So uh, I'll just go to another question on my list. Oh, wait. You want to do the third thing? The third most important thing in Beach Volleyball? You only need to know three things. We've done two. Okay, go for it. I, what? Yes, yes I, I want to know three important things. All right. Absolutely. So vision. There's only three things you need to do to win a gold medal. Vision, okay. blocking philosophy, and positioning in the court. Everybody's out of position on the court. Everybody is almost always out of position on the court, except the Vikings and Todd Rogers. All right. I can watch. Again, we get back to the we get back to the same. We can do this quick, and you can get on other questions too. I don't know how your time availability is, but. I have time. I have time. Everybody's out of position. Okay. Everybody. They're too far out, basically. They need to get more in. You see, you, you see these bizarre things where the ball is going this way and the athlete is running that way. And you ask yourself, why, if the ball is going this way, is the athlete running that way? And it just <laughs> mystifies me. It mystifies. You'll see it in you'll see it in those quarterfinals of the world championships in Rome. A guy running this. You want to know another one? 
there's a guy standing there and a ball comes and it's three feet away and doesn't move for it. Why are the point is to dig the ball and you're not moving for it. And they're like, uh, 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 well, <laughs> what's going on? Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm gonna give you another bit of philosophy. Yeah. And it's tied in because it's the same. We're, we're going to run the same process. I am on my defensive positioning in my in my positioning is what am I trying to accomplish? Right. What am I trying to accomplish? And it's because it's defense. It's the same as blocking. The reason why there's a subtle difference is because of the difference between blocking and in, in, in setting or blocking and defensive, which doesn't there's no two ways to hit a ball. Right. So offense is hitting. Defense is blocking and defense, or yeah, or de- this side is blocking in the defensive position. The people that win the games in volleyball are the ones that don't make the best, the most plays. Okay, they're the ones that make the most plays that they should have made. So the question isn't how many blocks you had or how many digs you had; it's how many blocks did you get that you should have gotten. How many defensive plays did you make that you should have made? Like when you're chart, I didn't know how to chart when I started. Most people chart this, this, this. What I was, the only thing I was focused on was should I have made that play or not? All right. And did I make that play or not? You're right. If you make a high percentage of the plays you should make, then you will win, the, you will win more games than you lose. Again, you, you don't get to decide if you win. That's the problem. Michael Jordan gets to take the last second shot, right? Tom Brady gets to throw the touchdowns. Volleyball players, it sucks because you don't get to decide whether you win. It's not in your hands. You have to have a different approach to the game, which says that, and look, next time you chart a game, sit there and go, how how many balls, not how many digs did the player have, how many digs should the player have had, okay? Mm -hmm. Generally easier, right? Depending on what happened in the game. What? depending on what the attacker did or what actually happened with the ball. The reason you see a ball that comes off the block that's up in the air that falls three feet in front of the defender, then you wonder why haven't, why didn't you move? Like your job is to move to ball, you get the ball, right? It's because they've lost focus on what they're trying to accomplish. Again, Everybody, Jose wants to make the big, strong, big, giant hit. He doesn't want to hit the nicies every time. Emmanuel did it beautifully. He'd stare at you, hit to that back corner. You'd wait, 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 wait for his arm to move, and you run as fast as you can. You have no chance, Emmanuel. Boom. Every, he, he, he didn't, he didn't did, get all excited like Jose and want to hit the ball. He had no pride in himself. And did he win a gold medal, Emmanuel Rego? Oh, I, I think he did. Amazing. Yeah. It's incredible how it works across all the Emmanuel Rego Brazil gold medal because he went up, he looked at you, and he hit the back corner. And if you moved, he hit over here, right? It's the same thing. So in, in defense, so you're not going to do anything against Rego. You're trying. I'm watching him. I am trying to wait. I'm trying for him to wait for him to make a mistake. I'm when he hits that line shot. I am moving my fastest, knowing full well I have no chance to get it. Which is why we're weird. Like we, I, I am not going to get. It. I have no chance. But that's not the mental. That's not the mindset. You go for everything. You're trying. I reach for, yeah, you know. But I know you're not going to get it. You dust yourself off and you're going. You need to. It's uh, Emmanuel. Get a little nervous. 
I, I didn't know this till later, his coach told me. He, he had a little bit of anxiety, right? So in big matches, you know, he he lost the Olympics. He lost it to uh, 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 Fenoy and Blanton in that famous game. And uh, uh, yeah, he, he, he would make mistakes. And that's when you jumped on him. And that's when you could beat him. Um, first of all, everyone plays, you know, in the, the Mininette, otherwise known as indoor volleyball, they spread their the defensive players tend to be out back. When beach volleyball, you got to be a little forward because you know you, you can dig a ball like this. So if you calculate the angle of where you're standing in the court versus the out of bounds, where should you be standing in order to get the most amount of balls? Right. Just if someone's but, listening, when you say dig the ball like this, you're using your hands overhand. Dig. Well, that's not the point. If you draw a line from the top of the net to the top of your hands, does that ball go out of bounds? So if I'm standing like this and a ball gets hit over over my hands, is it going out of bounds? Yes. We, then you're in the right position. But most people aren't. Okay? Most people are in a position on the court where if the ball's hit here, it's going out of bounds. Watch it. Go watch teams. Watch the defensive player. All right? If the ball goes towards the chest, it's going out of bounds. So, so they're basically... They're too, too far, far back. back. They're too far out. I, okay. I say you yeah. got to get, yeah. in, get in the court. In the mm -hmm. court, right? Um, you know, so, so then you're also, again, you're there to be there when they make a mistake because you're not going to get Emmanuel Rego when he hits the ball. Let me, here's the perfect example. The Phil Dahlhauser has a set at the net. He's steaming in and there's no blocker. Are you going to, are you going to dig the ball? Even if he smashes the, the odds of you digging that ball on Phil yeah. Dahlhauser are nil. But everybody digs in. They get digging. Oh, I'm waiting for the big thing. If it was me, I'd be like, "Hey, maybe there's a small shot. He'll hit. He'll tape it, and it'll dribble over. I can maybe get that ball." Like that's what I'm thinking in my mind. All right. So I'm never thinking like. But again, everyone wants to make the diving, digging, doing play. Oh, it's exciting. The crowd roars. The reason why everyone says that volleyball, the 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 the, the, the technical word is complex. It's not a very complex sport. The mean way to say it is boring. Oh, we need more rallies. Everyone wants more rallies. Well, because they don't happen that often. That's because it's not the purpose. The purpose is not to get into a rally. The purpose is to put the ball away. So when these spectacular digs are made, you're like, wow, that was awesome. Because it's not, it doesn't happen that often. If a guy's hitting a ball at you full speed, the thought of you getting some part of your body in the it, – it's a round ball and you got a flat surface. You're like, to, to make it so that it goes perfectly up, I don't know, 10, 12 feet to the guy, your partner, that's a very low – is that, that is a low probability event. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're playing low probability events, you're probably not going to be successful. You need to play high probability events. And the high probability events are to be in the position, the, the place in the court where you have the best chance to make the most plays you should make. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So when you chart defensive players, I would chart them based on how many of the best how many of the plays they should have made they should have made they made and you will see if you chart games because i did this i would chart games the teams that win generally because it's not your choice the teams that win generally make the make a higher percentage of the plays they should make than the other team all right so that's how you play volleyball it's really simple game. Not, you know, everything else is just details, right? Mm -hmm. I like the, I like the first things first approach. Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, 
Honestly, all of these theories that you gave given me today, they're they're new thoughts. Excellent. There you go. And 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 I can I can uh, I can promise you I've been a guy that has uh, tried to collect a lot of different thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have voices inside my head, so maybe not listen to me, or maybe <laughs> you can decide. You can decide for yourself. All right, so we're through question number one. Or if you had any more sort of thoughts or feelings on a, a position in the court. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I I have um, I talked with uh, actually a guy that I played with this spring. He used to play. He played in the 2012 Olympics for Venezuela. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I talked about defense with him, he he also told me to to get closer to the middle or further. Further in front, especially on what, what did he say? On, on balls that are are tight to the net, uh, are going to be a bigger chance that they're going to be shots. So, therefore, take a step forward uh, to sort of pick up more of those. I, I don't know. I feel like this this uh, sort of fits in well with that. Uh, Wait, you're, all, all players are not in, so that's always a good advice. And again. Uh, I would modify that to be like, you're all right. If if then if, if, if it's true that they make a certain play on a certain thing on a percentage wise, then yes, that's something you want to key off on. So truly, that's that. that yeah, I would agree with that. Like yeah. what he basically what he's saying in my framework is you have advanced notice on what your opponent's going to do. If it's true, right? Yeah. So yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. If it's true, and and maybe that ultimately is a. Or, or 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 this or this what he's also saying in my framework would be i i guess and i would ask him this is he saying that because the ball is close the offense has doesn't have its standard set of options its standard set of options is limited yeah so I, he might be saying so. that too which i would agree with him too right so mm -hmm. absolutely uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that. Do you have Do you have a? So so you said get so close that when you have the high high hands defense and it goes over that, then it goes out of the court. Is that your way of measuring the exact spot on the court, or do you have other ways to describe the exact spots on the court also? Or you know, like. <laughs> What I'm, yeah, what I'm saying is, is everybody's out of position. Okay, I don't understand. I don't understand why you would be standing in a spot in the court where if they hit it to you and you could play it, you wouldn't want to because it's going out. Wait, can you say that again? Sorry, I'm. Say that. All right, the, the court. The, the, all right, I guess again, like I said, I'm. So, we're, I, I want to apologize to your listeners. I'm not a coach, and I don't do this. <laughs> okay, so I'm sort of thinking about it. I, I just, I just, I'm telling you what was going through my mind when I played. Let me put it to you this way: the if, if you view the court in a two-dimensional sense, you're getting it wrong. You have to deal with it in a three-dimensional sense. So, what's the court? Is it eight meters by eight meters? Right. It's. Um, yep. But from a three-dimensional perspective, it's actually it's smaller, right? It's more like an up. It's more like a. It's more like a wedding cake, in a sense. Does that make sense? 
So uh, think about it. You're thinking about it three dimensionally. Like you, you don't want to be standing on the line because any defensive play you don't want to make is going out. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, so when you're sitting there, when you're sitting there, like where should I be standing? All right. What, what if they hit it to me? So all right, it's, it's four dimensional, right? It's it's three dimensional with time. Okay. So when you start trying to think about where you wanna where you wanna stand. All right, you want to stand and you want to stand within the court, and the court is not eight meters by eight meters. All right, mm -hmm. the court is a three-dimensional object that is different than the outlines of the court. That confuses yeah. people. Then, secondly, there's a time element because it takes longer to shoot the ball to the back than it does to dink it to the front. So you have a little more time to react and get to the ball in the back than you do to the one in front. And so that's going to inform where you should be standing, all right? Yeah. Then you're watching as the plays develop, watching for when the opponent makes a mistake, looking for a clue or, or you know, the, the key to what they're going to do, and you're just, and when it happens, you're, you're pound on that thing. You see? Yeah, yeah, okay. That, that makes sense. So, so basically it's sim same or similar in defense as, as blocking is, look for cues and whenever you they're making a mistake or you know what they're going to do because of some cue that you read that mm -hmm. that they're doing uh you should be on the ball and uh and this is your chance and and, and your your statistic that you were looking at is how many of these opportunities do you actually pick up yes exactly is that a good uh, good summary 100 with the only caveat with the only difference blocking is a timing issue and defense is a space where you know a proper position issue yeah but the, the philosophy of what you're doing is the same because it's it's this side of the court it's the ball's coming at you does that make, mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah 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 so. that makes sense. that's awesome uh so does that mean that we have covered the three most important things about how to win in beach volleyball uh the only things to win all of it yeah uh yeah we've answered your first question yeah okay <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> hour and 50 minutes so if you'd like to go to this question number two no if there's anything like specifically okay serving whatever you're trying to get the you know again all you're trying to do in serving is mixing it up you're trying to get them to make a mistake you're trying to confuse them you're trying to get them in uh it, 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 so you know i, I told karch like like one time like I, I, he's like, like i said karch serve him short to his right and then move left and then he's going to hit in the line. And so he serves the guy and he moves left and he goes to the line and the guy hits it. He goes, how did you know he's going to do that? I said, well, that's because I do that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, right. You're serving. You're trying to get him. You're trying to get him uh, uh, into trouble. Okay. And the harder you serve, the smaller the place you have to serve. Right. Cause it's a, uh, it's again, it's four dimensional, right? Yeah. If, yeah. You, if, the ball, if you serve the ball too fast, it goes long. You know, if you don't serve it hard enough, it's easy to serve. So you get really got to train yourself. I'll give you a drill we did, which everyone seems to like. Um, and we can do drill. I got There's a couple of drills I'd love to tell kids or something if they're if, when they get started. If we yes. got we, uh, passing is down here. We haven't even got. We can go do passing, but um, we would we would uh, do a drill where one team would serve 30 straight balls, right? So you're trying to side out 30 straight times. And our goal was to do a, a four to one, right? So we want to side out four times before we give up a point. 
or, and on offense, we wanted to uh, score every two, two, uh, two to one ratio. So the team serves at us 30 times and we're trying to, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to give up less than six points. So 24, do they still call them side outs? Cause it's not side out scoring anymore, but uh, is that a term? Anyway. Uh, yeah. So you, you, you don't give up a point six times and you, what we call side out 24 times. And when you're serving the ball, you're trying to get to 10, all right? You're trying to get to 10 points. So if you serve 30 times, you want to get 10 points on the other team, mm-hmm. right? And you really want to practice serving hard. And this is how you do it. So this is the story I tell. Because, again, now we're going to get back into the mental and the emotional. So we played this tournament, which was called the Cuervo Gold Crown. You know, most beach volleyball tournaments are tournament format, and you don't want to lose a game, right? It's a bad idea because you're then out of the competition or you're in the loser's bracket. But in this one, it was a round robin. Okay, so there's eight teams and we played seven games. You played everybody once. Yeah. We would get into the position where in that last game we were six and zero, and everybody else was four and two. So no matter we knew no matter what was going to happen, we'd be in the finals, right? Yeah. We're six and zero. The number two is four and two, so they can only be five and two. And at worst, we can be six and one. So the game didn't matter to us. Now a lot of teams in that circumstance would kind of forfeit. Because they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to, not forfeit. They would say, yeah, forfeit, we lose, because they want to save energy for the final. Yeah. Well, they made that illegal, right? They'd find you and get really mad and, you know, yappy, yappy. So then, of course, they'd play weak because they didn't want to. But Karch and I weren't like that. You know, our, our goal is to win, period, All, always, even though it's going to cost us in the final. So if we would have dogged it, not tried as hard, uh, it would have been better for us in the final, but that wasn't our mentalities. And surprisingly, he is fairly successful too. <laughs> so what instead we did is we said, we're going to serve as hard as we freaking can, no matter what. Miss, you know, miss, if we miss 15 serves in a row, uh, you know, what, what would happen if you were playing in a game and you missed 15 serves in a row? What would you as a coach do? You'd be over there throwing your clipboard on the ground, going nuts when the team's in the, God, dude, what's the team? And and how do people teach serving? This get back to this, the proper direction. Or not, this isn't even the direction part. This is more like mechanical versus rhythmic power. We are practicing a skill in competition against elite people. You don't get that opportunity. You don't get the opportunity to practice in an actual competition against the best players in the world. So we thought of it as like, this is a great time to practice our serving. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we don't. If we serve every single ball out of bounds, now we're not trying to hit it out of bounds. We're professionals. We we we, you, we know you can't hit it too hard. So we're not just like wailing the ball 500 feet down the beach. We're trying. We're trying to do really hard serves, really sharp cuts back down the line. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to hit it in the back corner. There's a there's a serve we could do, especially when you're facing the when you're in the wind, where you yeah. serve it really high with the super top spin. So to kind of even if the guys were to do this, it's going over them and landing on the back court again. We had a bigger court, right? Yeah, but that's yeah. a good serve because you're trying to hit it over them, but it requires a lot of top spin. It's really hard. So we're just we're gonna try the hardest serves we believe we can make. And what was unbelievable is that when we did this, we smoked teams. Game was a 15. We would come with 11, 12 aces in the game. So 13 aces. It was incredible. Bam, bam, bam. The game was over even before it started. It was it was I, it, it, 
And we always told ourselves, we told ourselves, God, you know, if we do this every game, let's do this in the finals. There was something mental about a lot, giving us that release that allowed us to serve better. We, we went back to our normal serving, which is we, we were one of the top teams in the world. So we, we were a good servers. I wasn't the best. So we, you know, other guys were better. Akatubi, Frohoff, you know, guys were better servers. We never got to that level ever again, except in those that, that, that tournament in that format when the game didn't matter. So again, a lot of it is mental when it comes. And, you know, so when you're practicing, all right, so you get back there and again, one person serves 30 times, you know, you go around the horn. So then the other team does 30 and then your partner serves 30 times. And you look, look if you have this mindset that you're trying to again, you, you're trying to serve it, at, you want to, you want to get 10 points and 30 serves, you know, and you're, and you're really focusing on going for it and you're really trying hard, you will get better at serving. All right. That, that, that's to me. So, you know, a lot of people, again, the way you teach it to me, the, 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 the mechanical skill of actually serving is less important than the psychology, the psychology of how hard are you going to try to serve to get them off balance? That, that, that to me is the balance like that, you know, mm-hmm. that's how I, that's how I approached it in a sense. That that makes sense, you know. And and, and I would and and, and I, I look. I would. Here, here's another thing I would say. Like the the goal is to win. Period. And not everybody has that. Not every team has that. Not I. I play with partners that don't want to win. It, it's horrifying. It, it's you know. I play with partners that they don't mind losing because of the parties that night. And they feel bad if they have to wait because they have to wake up early the next day. Yeah. If you ever catch yourself, if you catch yourself on a team. Or with a partner that doesn't want to win, don't don't get don't get uh, you know like go for it. Do the things you are kind of afraid to do because it's a competition and you're trying to win and you want like, right. Develop a skill you've never done. Like learn a cut shot if you don't have a cut shot. Go for that. Like look, I'm gonna this game. I, all right, I got a partner who who didn't care about winning. Literally, mm-hmm. I'm on the court with him. And he's like, I, 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 it's Cleveland. I, I don't care. It's not a big tournament. I'm a little tired. I don't, it's not, uh, whatever. And I'm like, would you just please try? <laughs> I'm not going to mention any names. I don't want to, you know, embarrass anybody. But at that point, I, you know what I said? I said, I'm going to go for every serve like the Quero's. I'm going to, you know, my cut shot was going to, I'm going to every, I'm going to cut. I'm going to hit really, I'm going to try to go to that angle. So, huh. right. So if, when you're on your way up, you might want to, say to yourself in a competition, I'm going to try some things that are a little difficult, that are harder, that are, that, that I, so I can improve and get better at. I think that's a good philosophy to test out as an athlete. Because again, you're, you're in a competition. It, it's, it, again, the, 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 things are so mental. The way I talked about how, when we didn't care if we won the game, it necessarily, we were trying, and we didn't care if we'd missed the serve, how much better we I mean, served? It was, it was, I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. It was, it was. We could never recreate that, uh, you know. But we get, we get better. That's, that's sort of. I, I hope that makes, yeah. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. So, so am I understanding this right? Like, if you have a chance to in a game practice something, this might be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. If you have a game, don't be afraid. 
Yeah, yeah don't be afraid, that. even in games, to try some things on the mental side. Because it's kind of more mental than it is like the problem with mechanical training, where your arm is, where your hand is, that it doesn't it doesn't take into account what you're thinking and what you're feeling. All right, how your brain is operating, because you can't you can't read the athlete's mind, right? So you're kind of you know you, if you lift if you lift on a muscle, it's going to get stronger. If you press yourself mentally, you're gonna get better. If you and it's a, like trying for example, if you Learn how to, if you practice emotionally swamping and emotionally ramping, you're going to get better at them. Okay. So get back there. Here we go. Here's your, here's your drill, everybody. Do that drill. You're going to serve 30 balls and you're got to get 10 points and go. You're going to, you're going to serve hard. You're going to, you're going to pick out serves you know are hard. And you're going to go, you're going to practice them. Okay. Like that. And then you're going to try, then you're going to go do it in the game. All right. The goal is to win. Period. You're go, you're 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 go, you're going to do it. You're you're going to go into this game, and I don't care if I miss a serve or what happens. I'm going to go for harder serves in order to in, in order to make myself a better server. Right? You can do that in the hitting side too. Sometimes you can, it doesn't make sense on blocking and defense because those are different philosophies. But yeah. Right? Yeah. So same thing with serving. You're trying to you're trying to increase the options you have. You're trying to get the other team in trouble, and it's a it's a giant mental thing. It's a giant mental thing because you don't want to miss. And then every your partner looks at you, you go, the partner goes, and the coach goes, serve you didn't serve zone five or whatever they say. They get mad. Yeah. Then you feel bad. Yeah, I I think I know what what you're talking about. Sometimes. One strategy that I've used a little bit has sometimes been communicating to either only my partner or maybe even everyone on the court that today I'm going to be pushing my limits a little bit within this area, uh, whether yeah. it's hand setting or serving or whatever. And I sort of tell them, I sort of ask for permission to do that uh, mm -hmm. because in a sense, if I start, you know, serving every single serve in the net, the, the whole game might get boring for them. So, so I could, I think I could even give them like the option to just tell me like, hey, Alex, now this is too much. Start ser serving in some balls. Uh, but <laughs> so, but well, why are you serving the ball in the net? Well, if, if I'm making mistakes, because or if I'm serving out, like if I'm trying to put what's, more heat. What's on the, the mistake? Ball. What's the mistake you're making? You're pushing yourself, right? You're, we talked about this. You're pushing past the central governor theory. You're pushing past the pain. You are embracing fear, anxiety, nervousness, okay? You are unhooking the safety mechanisms. You're pushing yourself. You're pushing yourself mentally. Why are you, why are you making, look, uh, my dad was, they loved two things in life, physics and sports. A service physics. What are you blowing? You blow in the launch trajectory or you blow on the force, mm -hmm. right? So yep. when you tell me you're hitting the ball in the net, wh which one of those? Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So make the adjustment. Exactly. Okay. Right? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, all right. Maybe I should have said. If I if I'm pushing my limits and I end up doing so many mistakes that it becomes boring for the other people to be on the court with me on this particular day, 
I could even give them the option to tell tell me to to not be pushing my limits so much today, just to, for their fun. But most probably, this is never going to be happening. Uh, my my point is that it's it's just another way of making this happen. I think is well. To, all right. So let it, me it, let me ask you let me ask you this question. What is your goal? Is your goal to uh, not make the players that you're playing with bored? Uh, yeah. Well. Okay. Well. So so yes yes. Sometimes we we need to. What's, sometimes we need to play play against. Well, what's the goal? Uh. To win, period. Yeah. I don't agree yes. with you. Uh, okay. I don't agree with you. Yeah. Okay. So, what I would do is I have a certain, you know, like the inner game of tennis talks about it. You are, you are, you, again, you can only do this in practice. And God, if you have the opportunity to do it in a competition, it is so beneficial, is what I'm saying, right? What's your, what, this is why I believe you're wrong, is because you are doing a, fo you're, you're having a foes problem. A fear of social exclusion. Okay, human beings are social animals, right? You, you, we, we, we. That's the problem with athletics. Again, it it pushes us into areas where it tests our humanity in multiple directions, right? Fear, uh, anxiety, uh, pain, exhaustion, suffering, pressure. Okay, that's the way sports are designed. Right? Perfect example is combat sports. Your goal is to physically hurt the other person. You could be damaged permanently, right? That's got to cause a lot of fear, right? It's got to cause a lot of, that, that's probably not that easy. Humans are social animals. If you want to win, you are different than the other people, okay? And you will feel things inside your body. You want to get back into the group, right? You want to get back into the social structure. Uh, the, when you go out, people treat you differently. They are mean to you because you are different, right? That's fear of social excuse. They look at him. Oh, he thinks he's oh he, he's stuck up or he's what do they call it? Confident, cocky. He's so cocky. Oh, he's this. That is a very normal human thing. So what you're experiencing there is what your fellow humans as social animals will think of you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So can you, can you I get your right? point? I, I actually think we're talking about slightly different things. Uh, you are. You told me that. You told me that. You, if you you want to try a serving, but you're worried about what other people will think. That's what yes, I heard. Because I'm thinking long term, and I need practice partners. Because it's it's a group sport, and if I don't have people to practice with, then I'm not getting any better. Uh, you can make a. Uh, uh, the, I guess the, if there's three people in town. Well, another thing I could do is we can have a conversation with the people, right? And but actually, what you could do is serve the ball in. Yes, I can serve the ball in. Uh, yes, hard, hard, going for it, fearing. You ready? Now you're getting into fear. You are afraid people won't play with you. You are afraid people won't practice with you. That's the point. That's the point of the sports. That's how they're designed. They're designed to do that. You got it? Mm -hmm. uh, again, yeah. your choice. Don't have to agree with me. That's what I see. You are right. No one will play with you. Does that scare you? Uh, yeah, I mean, if no one's playing with me, yeah, I'm, I'm scared. Yeah, I, 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 I understand, okay? My daughter was 10 years old, and uh, she was going up to bat in the bottom of the inning, 
and there's girls on, and we were down by one. If she gets a hit, we win the championship. She's the hero, and everyone has a great time and goes to pizza and ice cream. And if she doesn't, we lose. And um, it's a tragedy, and she's a poor little girl, and she's on her own. Yeah, but we still go to pizza and ice cream because they're 10 year olds. Let's not get crazy, right? So, uh, and I'm the coach. It says, Daddy, I, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. And I'm like, Yeah, you're, spo- you're supposed to be nervous. Why wouldn't you be nervous? Like the whole weight of the whole team is on your shoulders, the championship, all of it. And she's like, Well, Daddy, like, I, I, I'm worried what you'll think if I fail. I go, yeah. Why would I, why would it matter? Like, go out there and hit the ball, and we win the championship, and we're going to pizza and ice cream. And if you don't, Strike out, we lose the game, and they win, but we still go to piece of ice cream. But the biggest thing concerned me, I said, Catherine, I said, is this is the point of the sport. This is, what, what do you, would you like to do here? We want to go out there and try to get a hit? So she comes back later on, it, she, it worked, it, she's a kid. So I have, I, again, I'm not a coach, but I experienced, I played. And so I know how the feelings of athletes, and they're completely normal. And they're, the, the point, the, I, would you look at these, a, a Formula One racer is contemplating getting burned alive mm-hmm. four days a week, twenty weeks a year. Mm-hmm. But but, okay. but but listen, but listen. Um, as far as I understand this right now, we're talking about two different fears. So so, and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I believe you believe that I talk about a fear of becoming misliked if I play to win. I gave you a I gave you a modality of training that you are concerned about because of something else other than you'll get better and it'll help you win. Okay? That is what I'm focused on. Okay. So so my example, better example than serving would be hand setting. Let's say I'm a, I'm, I'm a player that cannot handset. <clears throat> I double every single ball if I handset. I might need three months of handsetting to become a good handsetter. Yes. Uh, but if I just go for it, then and I double a lot of balls, and my team loses every single time because of this for three months, then I, I actually play worse. I would be a better player if I bump set it. Mm, well, all right. Well, the question is, if you were to learn how to handset, would you be better? I I believe so. Okay, so that's your goal. Your goal is to win. Yes. Period. Which means you got to learn how to handset. Yes. We go back to the string theory. What are you doing wrong? Okay. Ready? All right, we haven't done setting yet. So we did hitting, blocking, defense, serving. Setting is laziness. Pure and simple laziness. Okay. You got to move your feet. You got to get into the ball. You have to be in the right position. Your hands have to be right. And the reason you're not is because we are lazy. Human beings are like, it's hard. Running around, the ball's whipping around. Everybody who sets incorrectly is not in the right position. Getting into the position is hard. It's especially hard because you're on sand. It's uneven. Okay? So the reason why you're not hand, you're not setting your, with your hands correctly is because you are not getting in the right – you're not pushing yourself to get into the right – again, and it's also – so it isn't just getting to the ball – it's getting, you have to be facing where you're setting, correctly? So it, it isn't just running to where your partner passes the ball. It's running to the where your partner's passing the ball at the same time you're lining yourself up correctly. And, you know, the ball's coming this way and you're moving this way and you're twisting. 
and it's eventually like, ah, oh, just bump it, you know, or you miss it. So yeah, I, I got it. You, so again, I'm not saying go handset and lose for three months. All right. I'm saying go handset and figure out really quickly what you're doing wrong and start working on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not just like serve out, serve out, serve out, serve out, serve out. Look, the inner game of tennis gives a perfect example with serving, right? If you're sitting here serving the net, try to serve it long and then figure out in between, right? Remember how he does that? Like if, if you're if you're hitting the tennis ball short, he gets you to hit it long, okay? Mm -hmm. one of the, one of the, in, the, in the book, the interesting thing is, so if you're hitting a tennis ball short and you, you want to hit it as deep as possible, the tennis coach will say, all right, try to hit it out past the line. Whenever you work with athletes like that, what's incredible is when they're trying, when, if they're hitting the ball short and you tell them to hit the ball long, a lot of times they'll hit the ball correctly. Mm -hmm. You got it? Yep. So within their mental framework, doesn't exist the scenario. Is that right? So the reason they're not hitting it correctly is because their brain has told them if they do it that way, it'll go long. You with me? Mm -hmm. That's how the brain's working. So. I don't know what, first of all, you wouldn't serve 30 serves into the net. You would serve 15 in the net and 15 long, right? Mm -hmm. You got it? Yes, yes. Um, or at least you should be, because you're trying to adjust, yes. uh, right? So, um, yeah. So, so I, I don't know, maybe we have uh, tied us up in, in something that actually isn't significant. The only thing I tried to share was basically a way that I have used to, I think, get the same thing as you talked about, which is, okay, so for example, we sh I'm, I'm a bad handsetter. We show up and play. I tell people, I'm going to practice my handsetting today. I might and, and make by, 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 are they good friends? Are they good friends or like we want you to be a better person too? <laughs> uh, hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who are you practicing with? How about, how about sure? And like, God damn it. Like, well, he can push you, right? He can maybe tell you what you're doing wrong and you can work on it. But yeah, okay. Hopefully you're, you're practicing with people who will help push you too, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, but remember, but remember in, the serving, in the serving example, Karch and I agreed that no matter what happened, we were going to serve hard. So it didn't matter if he, like, if in a regular game I would have missed a couple of serves in a row, Karch would be like huffing and puffing and yelling at me. All right, mm -hmm. Hob would be like calling me names and uh, yeah. you know cursing at me. So yeah, you might you might want to have a conversation with your practice partners and say, why don't we all try our hardest serve? Why don't we do today? With everyone judges our hardest serves. Like we try to hit like sharp angles and we're, we're okay with it. See what happens. This is yeah, I think this is similar to to what I'm talking about. Um, if for let, let's let's say everyone's good hand setters except me. Let's. I can ask. Can we play today with rules that uh, my doubles don't count? Mm, no, doesn't work. Doesn't give you the psychological pressure. Um, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, it will give me a lot of in-game reps. Maybe it'll give you mechanical reps. It will not give yep. you a mental, physical, and emotional reps. That is true. That is true. Yeah, if you want rep setting, just you know, get a ball in a ball, uh, you know, one thousand times against against the wall, and uh, put a dot on your wall in a ball in perfect time, right above your head, and you, you hit you hit that thing one thousand times every day. 
you'll be able to handset. I can guarantee you'll be able to handset in no time. Yeah, I I I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Uh, I personally, I do also see some value in getting mechanical reps without the pressure in game situations as a transition phase. Uh, I believe in the end, you want the psychological pressure, you want everything. Uh, that People can disagree with that, you can disagree with that. I'm not going to say that it's absolutely necessary. Uh, I'll think about that, actually. Well, okay, let me, let me be clear. I would never say never... I would never say never mechanically train, all right? Again, I'm an American, so we have all American sports, but baseball is one where they did figure out your release point. If you change your release point three degrees and you have more on your wrist and you have its spin rates important, basically, on a, on, on a baseball. So they mechanically train them to move their wrist. So it's not, again, but what I'm saying is there's too much mechanical training especially with younger athletes. So clearly if someone's doing something, like even at the point where if you have backwards footwork, I wouldn't touch it. But if something's clearly like grow, like a person is not even jumping correctly because they're not getting to, uh, yeah, whatever. You can mechanically train people in certain areas, but it is not easy. It takes a really good coach who really knows what they're doing because verbal modalities will mess up a lot of people sometimes. Because then they'll be, you know, what you don't want the athlete to do is be thinking about the motion. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you can't have a mechanical training modality, but it's got to, it's like, it's like a controlled experiment, like, like, like a level five pathogen laboratory. You got to be really careful when you do it and surround the athlete. But yeah. Because uh, again, I, you, if you affect the mental emotional, that's part of it. You can't, you can't, you can't intertwine the thing. But yeah, I get you. I get you. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, yes, I agree with you. I I am personally a coach that uses mechanical training, but I believe ninety five percent of mechanical training in the world is done wrong. <laughs> I would agree. 100%. So, and it, it's it's as you say, it's a fucking it's a it's an art because you have yes. to understand their mentality. You have to understand what happens in their head how to explain the mechanics to them uh there's you can do visual you can do certain uh, analogies you can do and and you also have to understand when you're not getting through and in this case you have to do something else uh, <laughs> but, but so uh i hope we're talking about the same thing here i i think i believe we are uh, it's possible yeah yeah no it's just Everybody wants listen to me. Think about it. You know, try it. Mm -hmm. You know, try it. Get your four partners together and say, let's do some crazy. You know, do some crazy things today because we want to get better. Try it. If not, you know. One of the things I tell. So here's what I told my daughter Catherine and my son Conrad, mm -hmm. because they get awful coaches. All the coaches are horrible, and they're youth coaches, and they tell her to do the wrong thing. And she goes, well, Daddy, you told me to do this, but the coach told me to do something opposite. I said, you know what? Do what the coach, do what the coach tells you, because I don't want my daughter getting in there with the coach. Do what the coach tells you, but when you get up there, do it the way you want to do it. And there's because there's value in trying something and testing out a new thing. There's value in that. Yeah. So if somebody has a completely wrong idea, give it a shot. That'll help you mentally, emotionally too. So, you know, uh, go. To, I, I'm going to train something super mechanical, knowing I'm I'm sort of it's probably not the right way to do it, but do it. Then I'll go back to the other way. That could be a bit beneficial. You know, sort of expanding your ability to learn and grow and create. So, yeah, I can see that. 
part of the mechanical training I sometimes use is to get people to explore. So I actually tell them to do too much and I tell them to do too little and then start finding the in-betweens and, and sort of it's like yeah, that's not mechanical training. That's not that's that's mental training. Yeah. OK. Um, yeah, that's that that's inner game of tennis stuff for sure. Yeah, yes. So, yes. yeah, explain to the audience what you're talking about. So, yeah, we, we are ultimately changing the mechanics of the player, but the, the 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 methods I use to make that happen are not the same as you will see in a lot of youth coach. Definitely, you need again. Definitely, you need to change mechanics of athletes. It's how you change them. Yes. Is mechanical training versus rhythmic power. That's the point. Yes. What's up, Alex? Here again. I hope you have enjoyed the interview so far. We are a little bit over halfway into the interview, and I think we have gotten past the part where me and Ken possibly misunderstood each other, which maybe created some tension in the interview. I'm fine with disagreements, but disagreements because of misunderstanding I would rather avoid if possible. And unfortunately, they seem to happen a little bit more often in online Skype video call interviews compared to in real life uh, interviews. But it is what it is. I hope you have enjoyed this episode and look forward to the next episode where Kent continues dropping knowledge bombs on me. I promise you there's more of them. Share this episode to everyone and anyone that might be interested. Last week I met Christian Sorum, who is the current latest beach volleyball Olympics gold medalist, together with Anders Moll, and I asked him if he wanted to be on the podcast, and I got a maybe. So I have my hopes up, <laughs> I really do. But here's the thing is that there's always gonna be some people that are gonna say no to me, some people that are gonna say maybe to me, and some people that are gonna say yes to me. But the more this podcast grows, the easier it is to turn those no's to maybes and those maybes to yeses, which will just help me bring these high quality, highly insightful beach volleyball conversations to you guys. And this is why it's so important that you guys help me grow this project by sharing this episode, share this podcast, and share this whole Learn Beach Volvo Fast project to other people. Also, I'm always open for feedback on how to become a better beach volleyball podcast host. In a sense, I feel like my job as a podcast host is to help these players and coaches and whatnot to formulate the knowledge and information that they have into words that we can all learn easily from. I also feel like my job is to ask them questions that actually brings out the information out of them so that everyone can learn maximum amounts of the sport. And with everyone, I mean you listeners, I mean me, and I mean the people that I interview because quite often or actually almost every time I've gotten the feedback that hmm, I learned a lot on this episode as well and that's just amazing I like the win-win-win situations but any help or thoughts or feedback on how I can do this podcast better for you guys is always welcome I want to become as good as possible at doing this and experience has showed me that whether it's listening to feedback from listeners or viewers of videos or players from coaching this is one of the most powerful ways for me to become better at what I do so I'm inviting you also here to do that with me okay so as always in the podcast episode description there will be a link to this same episode on YouTube and YouTube has a comment section so go and find that link go and find that comment section and write your comments there whether it's feedback whether it's thoughts whether it's questions to me or Kent or who knows what uh, just go there and do that. 
And another reminder, share this episode to people and friends that will find value from it. I'll share another little nugget from my own experience, which is that if you share beach volleyball episodes or videos or tutorials or whatever with your training partners, it's actually way easier to get to practice these things yourself on your practices just because you and your training partners are sort of in sync already before you show up at the court. All right, thanks for listening. Have a good one and see you soon in the next episode, which will be the rest of this interview. Bye.